This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Hope you are having a great day so far. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it started again. Another week of joy and excitement. Another week back at it. Another week, by the way, of uh, political talk. We're going to be speaking with Joe Cannon in our first hour. Uh, we call him Joe in the know. He just uh, seems to be fairly well networked into the political world back in D.C. We're going to pick his brain, find out, you know, what we need to know. Is uh, is all of this hullabaloo about Donald Trump Jr. going to turn into anything big? Nah. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It's just... I thought it wasn't a big deal, and now it's kind of a big deal, and then they're saying it's not a big deal, but then why did you just not come out with it, and why do we just keep hearing more and more released, and you think you'd just come clean if it wasn't a big deal? Why was a lawyer retained two weeks before they announced it? It's so weird. Trump Jr., God. Why would you bring the Secret Service in and say that they vetted everybody so nobody in the meeting could have been a problem, and then why would the Secret Service say, no, you, we didn't do that? Because he wasn't under Secret Service protection at that point. Weirdest thing. He'll just brush it off. He's brushed everything else off. He'll brush this off too. I want to ask Joe because some of these, uh, some of the commentators are starting to, some of the the Republican leaning commentators are even kind of saying they've had enough. They're turning. What happens when the GOP commentators turn on him? Huh? You lose your messaging. Then, yeah, then what do you do? I don't know. Then, you, you know what I would do? I'd go to Mar-a-Lago. I'd just take a little vacation, go to Mar-a-Lago. Again? Do some golfing. Right. That's what I would do. But I would probably do that every week. This weekend, he watched golf. Did he? Yeah. He had the U.S. Women's Open was at a uh, tournament or at a, uh, a golf club that he owns in Jersey, I believe. Does he own golf clubs? Several. So he went and watched uh, golf over the weekend. Huh. Watching golf on TV is the only thing worse than playing golf. See, he was live at the golf course where it was taking place, and I believe he still watched it on TV. He was right there. He could have just got in the golf how, how do you watch golf? You have to like go to each hole. Eh. Just yeah, go but, sit on watch on TV. It's all set up for you. Yeah. That's what I would do probably, and then just switch channels to something interesting. Right. Oh, there's like a movie on. Do they have nachos at golf courses? Probably not. Are you serious? I don't know that Come nachos on. and golfing go together. That's like you'd probably have something more like brie. You put some nachos at the snack stand, I'm in. Mm. Nachos sound really good this morning. Really? Right now? Yeah. Hmm. Because I'm celebrating World Emoji Day. What does it mean? There is a monkey and a turtle on my screen. I just don't get it really, dude. What does it mean? Is yeah. there a hidden message somewhere in between? This is an emoji song. This is made. the emoji musical. Is there, a, is there an, a, an emoji musical? Me, dude, I did not know that. Well, it's... A, Three-minute YouTube video. You know, the weird thing is, this guy's making a good point in the song. I don't. There's some emojis. I don't know what they mean. Right. And the song goes goes on to point out that really nobody knows. Not oh, even okay, the people good. sending it. Doesn't matter if you don't know. Just send it. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm not alone on that. I thought it was just kind of me aging out of the emoji world. No. Whew. That's good. That's really good because I don't want to age out yet. I got a lot of life to still live. So, I've got a, I've got a, why, why are people laughing? 
Why are they laughing? I turn around and ask them. Uh, I don't see anybody. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I don't see it. I don't see any of our audience today, but I keep hearing them. So, so strange. So we'll get into politics today. Of course, some empty news as well. We'll continue to celebrate World Emoji Day. And I'll probably just tell you that I had the best banana bread I've ever had in my life yesterday and today. It was amazing. Just thought I'd bring that up. Wow. Nuts or no nuts? Nutless. Good. Good for you. No nuts. Why ruin a good thing <laughs> with some nuts? <laughs> this is not worth it. Anyway, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? To understand the scale of the hacking attempts against election systems in 2016 presidential election, the Wall Street Journal reported on Sunday you need to consider the state of South Carolina. According to uh, reports from South Carolina, nearly 150,000 attempts to penetrate the state voter system happened on election day in 2016. Really? 150,000 attempts. Wow. South Carolina wasn't even a competitive state. Oh. They voted for Trump. They, Trump got 54% of the vote. Yeah, he So if it. that was a non-competitive state, what were the competitive states yeah, going like. through during this time when these types of uh, intrusions were being attempted? Mm. Uh, it says a harder-fought Illinois, for instance, hackers were hitting the state board of elections five times per second, 24 hours per day, from late June through August 12th of 2016. Man, that's crazy. Five times a second for 24 hours now, a day. Is this just the presidential ballot and election, or is this the entire ballot? This in, was uh, the state New, board of Illinois. elections in Illinois. Oh, boy, yeah. So the whole deal. And so there, well, uh, the, the fear is, this is in the New York Times, the report was in the Wall Street Journal. New York Times went further by saying, by 2020, cyber attacks could try to alter or erase voter registration databases or do something else to interfere with actual voting on Election Day as yeah. they find out more and probe the systems and figure out what they can do to cause more problems. Better get on it. Better get uh, on it. Other research suggests macaroni and cheese powder contains high concentrations of potentially dangerous chemicals. What? The Coalition for Safer Food Processing and Packaging, a group behind the wonderful uh, website apparently cleanupcraft.org, tested 30 cheese products for phthalates, a group of plastics used to make plastics more flexible. Phthalates levels were more than four times higher in macaroni and cheese powder. While the coalition says phthalates pose a serious health a threat to health for pregnant women and children, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports health effects from exposure to low levels of chemicals are unknown. Wow. I thought it was made from real cheese. Oh, yeah. Man. Isn't there somebody standing over the pot grating cheese into it? Isn't oh, that how sure. it works? I think that's how it works, yeah. It does say some uh, phthalates have altered lab animals' reproductive systems, the CDC reports. Well, that's hmm. scary. <laughs> you don't My kids yeah. did seem a little more flexible after eating their macaroni and cheese. Hmm. Yeah. And they weren't going to their uh, their water bottle, their pellet water bottle as much either. Yeah, they, I don't understand it. It's hmm. so weird. And then there's a Ohio hospitals launched a volunteer infant cuddle program for newborns diagnosed with the, with neonatal abstinence syndrome, which affects babies suffering from withdrawal due to their mother's use of opioids or other mm. drugs. Amy Clayton, a clinical nurse educator who worked at the Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton, Ohio, since 1998, says the hospital last year admitted approximately 90 newborn babies with the syndrome. The hospital says the initiative is already making a difference in the lives of their tiniest patients, whose moms are often not available because they are seeking treatment for their opioid use or have returned to work or gone home or whatever other situations there are. These moms' arms are the best, the moms' arms are the best medicine, but if the mom can't be there, 
the uh, the co- social interaction from these volunteer snugglers or cuddlers, how they're calling them, helps to uh, save these kids and give them a good start. Finally, you know, uh, J- I think Jeff would be a good, would be a good uh, cuddler? professional cuddler. Professional cuddler? Yeah. Over the weekend, there was a... Uh, Expo, I guess you could call it. It's the uh, the D23 Expo. Disney gets together and talks about all their upcoming awesomeness. Yeah. Um, which is funny because Comic-Con, where they used to do that, is right. this week. So they did it the weekend before because, you know. So is Comic-Con only, is that San Diego's Comic-Con, yes. Salt Lake's Comic-Con? No, it's San I thought Diego. they weren't going to do it in San Diego anymore. They're in San Diego. Huh. Uh, they signed a huge extension with their uh So if you're in San Diego there, so. and you see Spider-Man. It's probably not the real Spider-Man. It's probably not the real Spider-Man. So that this D23 conference, one of the many things they announced was a immersive Star Wars hotel. Mm-hmm. A hotel? A hotel. That's immersive? Yes. All employees will be uh, costumed in character. Wow. Each guest will get a storyline, and they will touch every single minute of your day. So you walk in and you just start role playing Star Wars. So you could be walking down the hall, maybe to get some ice out of the ice machine, and then all of a sudden Lord Vader pops out with a lightsaber. That's right. You know, it'd be great is if some of these employees had to go full on out with the full makeup and everything. So you have like Admiral Akbar, oh, and they've got boy. to get there four hours before work starts to get all this on. <laughs> what if you just want to be there for your meeting and leave? It's you know, it's not that type of hotel. You, you can go down to the you know whatever. Well, I get to charge the Down makeup the time, right? It's you meant put to your make up on your own time. <laughs> it's meant to take place on a spaceship, so the windows will only show space. You won't be able to look out at like it being Florida. So you won't be able to look out and see Florida, you'll see space. Really? Is anyone gonna go to this thing? I believe so. So May the fourth floor be your room. But won't you be a little disappointed like when you pull in in your Chevy Malibu? Well, once you walk through the doors, you're transported to a different world, Matt. Come on. <laughs> but the world's still here. It's just more expensive. More expensive. And well, yeah, but you won't be able to see it because you look out the windows and you'll see space. Is there a pool? Can you still swim? How, well, do, sure. people, how do people breathe in this atmosphere? You're in a spaceship. Hmm. This is exciting, I guess. This is an excitement that I didn't even know I needed. You probably don't know you need it. Kind of like this show. It'd be, totally. it'd be kind of interesting. Would it? Sort of. Do you want to have a themed entire weekend? No. It's like these, what do they have? They're like uh, romantic getaways, theme cruises oh. or something, or you get on the boat and it just instantly you're into the storyline for the entire weekend or entire cruise. Really? Yeah. I've never, um, I mean, I guess, I guess it sounds fun, I guess. Is this just going to turn into a, a honeymoon getaway for nerds? Yeah. Like so, a themed weekend. Nerds will become very excited and ruin the entire thing. <laughs> Star Wars! Yeah! <laughs> is that... I, I guess this is the future. People want experiences. We hear that over and over. They don't want value. They don't want you know fluffier pillows. They want an experience. So you'll start having themed hotels. Well, isn't life an experience? People don't want life. I they have life every day. They want like Star Wars life. That's right. I think Forrest Gump said that. They want escapism. Really? It's an experience. I think life. he also said life is a highway. Yeah. Well, I guess this is all fun and games until you get lightsabered and your little storyline's over. Then yeah. you're done. This is going to turn into Westworld. That's what they mentioned there, except for, you know, all the murder. So I guess they'll make sure, I mean, because they don't want you to ruin your weekend by killing you in the first day, there so they'll go. draw it out. Yeah. You might not get killed till right before checkout. Probably. So probably about 1030. 
Good morning. <laughs> Done. Hmm. Okay. By the way, did I say that right? Is it Admiral Akbar? See the one that kind of has the fish head? Yeah. Okay. I think it's Lieutenant Akbar. Well, that was in the prequel and it hadn't been. Yeah, he'll be he promoted, promoted. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hey, uh, speaking of Admiral Akbar, apparently Senator McCain's had uh, <laughs> some surgery. Rude. That is rude. <laughs> No, I didn't mean that it. Like, I didn't mean that it. That was the so worst rude. segue in the world. <laughs> I just don't know how to segue. I don't. He's a great man. Yeah, he, he has a had blood clot behind his eye. Yeah. And so now they're trying to alleviate that. But he's by because they're doing that, they're holding off the Senate health care vote this week. Isn't that? Which is probably good. Because well, they're it, not ready. It seems to tell you that if, if you're missing one guy and you can't pass it, it's probably not ready yet. But isn't it the other eight to ten people who have questions that might be the bigger issue? Oh yeah, like why isn't why is uh, is it Susan Collins? Why isn't she on board? She from Maine? Yeah, yeah. She her her state is comfortably in the uh, the side of uh, the Medicaid expansion. They enjoyed that; it yeah. was popular and you know, productive in their state. So she's yeah. like, eh. But it seems like if you wanted more votes, you'd want to like somehow make her happy because that would probably make more Democrats able to at least look at it seriously, right? Hmm. I'm not sure. There's and so Rand many different Paul, things. Apparently Rand is Paul just it. doesn't want any bill whatsoever, so he's not going to vote for anything. Many would say it's kind of scary just because uh, Senators Cruz and Lee are for it. Yeah, they seem to. They, not, but it happened with the scary. House bill too. There was a bunch of people against it. Then they came back the second time around, made a slight adjustment, and I think told them the Senate will fix it, and then they all voted for it. Really? Yeah. It's so complicated. The moderates cave for some reason. It was strange. Now, I thought that this was just a no-brainer. Just repeal and replace. That's yep. all you had to do is repeal it and then replace it. And the GOP is really having a hard time with that. I was reading this morning that many people that were in charge of trying to figure out how to repeal and replace underestimated how difficult it was going to be. Well, yeah. That was one of Trump's profound words like, was this tough. is more complicated. Than any of us thought. They weren't prepared. They didn't have an actual sufficient plan yeah. to Wrong. replace. Mm. They, you know, you you end up every single plan as we've seen. There's more people uninsured. Wrong. And once you give people things, it's hard to take it away and not tick them off. You're wrong. You can take it away. They're not going to like you though. It's a great point. Yeah. Do you keep hearing like Donald Trump saying you're wrong? Yeah, he's kind of everywhere nowadays. Is that is that in our head or is that what is that? Because I hear that all the time. We got a r- bunch of real dummies. See, boy, <laughs> I think he's slowly wearing us down. <laughs> he's just and apparently Ann Coulter got in a mix-up too. Yeah, Delta so Airlines. They gave away her seat, and so she took a picture of the person actually in her seat mm. and destroyed their life. You know, what do you? Because you're not allowed to do. Isn't that. your fight with Delta? Why did you? Why did you go after that poor woman that just did what she was told? <laughs> But I wonder if Delta will have the same blowback as United Airlines did, giving a seat away. I don't know. Ann Coulter is kind of uh, polarizing. Yeah, so many people might be like, yeah, well. You know what, though? They gave her a pair of wings, and she was totally fine with it. Really? That puts a smile on anyone's face. Oh, Remember yeah. those wings oh, yeah. that they put on your I love chest? It. I, I, yeah. <laughs> By the way, when we send out our social media for the day— mm-hmm. Can we uh, put out hashtag McCain is Akbar? No, but he's not Akbar. That's what you said. He's, you he's, heard it here on the show no, but, today. Uh, no, but he's an admiral. 
I'm he gonna, was, and Mer, McCain's dad was an admiral. I will grab that audio. McCain, McCain's dad was an admiral in the Navy, and then McCain was a highly uh, – he's a highly ranked One guy has a fish head person. and one guy's old, and so you made it a comparison that's really undignified. No, I didn't, what I did is I didn't clarify my segue. Like mm. I should have said, uh, speaking of admirals, the son of Admiral McCain mm-hmm. – John McCain had said, surgery. Though. I know that's what I should have said. You went fish head, fish head. And that's no, not I didn't. I never said fish head. Roly poly. This is going to be the soundbite of the week, by the way. This will be the, the episode that you and Don review together. Hmm. That'll be fun. We need to talk about your segues. So <laughs> well, but you know what? If, if I get in trouble for segues, actually, my producer will get in trouble for not writing my segues well enough. I'm not supposed to write your segues. <laughs> that was never been discussed. In fact, I protested when it was suggested. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> If I have segway problems, but speaking of segways, we need little motorized segways to get us through this, to get us around campus. I'm tired of walking. Well, you said you weren't any good at segways, so that's a different segway. Oh, I see. Yeah. Hey, we'll take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be on the phone with us, walking us through all things political. Joe in the know, we call him. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, uh, have we got a, 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 a day for you. Um, Joe Cannon, we're trying to get him on the line here, uh, having a little technical difficulty for a minute. But as, as we're thinking about it, there's a lot going on in this uh, White House while there's not a lot going on, right? It seems like we're doing everything we can to know, uh, to, to try to, I guess, figure out about what's going on with Russia What's going on with the health care bill? There's a lot of opportunity out there. There's energy decisions being made by the White House. Um, there's a lot of potential uh, progress going on. Even uh, There's even some talk that maybe Trump is doing a little behind-the-scenes Paris climate uh, agreement deal you know, going on. A lot of stuff happening, and yet it all kind of gets lost in the turmoil around Russia. With Donald Trump Jr. coming out with more um, and uh, you know more information about his visits there, as well as just other other data that's uh, eventually surfacing to the to the fore. So as as we talk about it, it it's confusing. And I wanted to bring in our our true blue um, expert. Well, he would not claim to be an expert. We call him Joe in the know. Joe just is. Uh, very well versed because of his history in the in the Republican Party. He was a chairman of the Utah Republican Party. He was also a candidate for U.S. Senate. He served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. Also was a, a, a newspaper man, an editor of Deseret News, um, and currently is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. So He's in Washington constantly. He knows a lot of people there, and we just want to get any insight we can as to what's really going on politically in the world. Joe, thanks for being with us, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. This is um, – it just seems like it gets more and more confusing with with John McCain uh, sick and unable to vote. The health care bill takes a fall, and yet we still constantly hear more and more about the Russia investigation. What – what should we be paying attention to nowadays? Well, it's so hard because two things are driving what we pay attention to. One is every time the president 
does something, the media just respond. I mean, no matter how much they dislike the guy, they just respond. He's like the most successful troller in all of history. Uh, <laughs> so so he'll, true. He'll say something, and then boom. And then, then that's the news cycle for that day, uh, whatever it is. Although that may be tested this week. And we'll come back to, like, Made in America Week. I'm not sure if that's going to drive Russia out of the headlines. Mm. But, um, but yeah, like just, just touching on the Russia thing, uh, uh, I, I, I know you always say that I can bring some clarity. I'm not sure what clarity I can bring here. Clearly, there was a meeting. There were clearly, at best, disingenuousness and discrepancies about the meeting, whether it happened, who was there, what it was about, and then Trump Jr. did, you know, release all of his uh, all those emails, which made for kind of interesting reading. It was clear that he wanted to go to the meeting to get dirt on Hillary. Right. So I don't think anybody disputes that. From there, then there's a lot of dispute. Was that illegal? Was it wrong? Uh, what what you know? What can the uh, Mueller do about it? Uh, so all of that, I, I just leave to whatever the you know investigators come up with. But it's clearly really unpopular. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, uh, if you're just looking at things from a political lens, 63% of the people in the country say it was inappropriate. Only 26% say it was appropriate. And that comes pretty close to matching the 25% who strongly support President Trump. Uh, you know, so yeah. Uh, you know, this is, I think this is just emblematic, but I think the, the Trump presidency, the political team has to start thinking a little bit more about, uh, it's okay to retain your base. Okay. That's great. That's important. It's necessary, but it is a long way from sufficient. If you're going to go into the midterm elections in 2018 with this, these kind of poll numbers, Mm. um, and then you overlay on that. I know we'll we'll talk a little bit about the uh, health care bill, but you overlay on that uh, the the health care bill. Like almost whatever happens, it's going to be really kind of negative for Republicans. Do you so? Do you sense like I even sense with like Charles Krauthammer, uh, the columnist for the Washington Post? Yeah, usually you know strongly right-leaning is even getting tired of this. Uh, in his articles, he said, bungled collusion is still collusion. This is not hearsay, not fake news, not unsourced leaks. The email chain released by Donald Trump Jr. himself, you know, it seems to be signs of collusion. That lays it out, yeah, yeah, no question about it. Um, well, I mean, the interesting thing about Cryhammer is, unlike... Bill Crystal and some other pretty notable people in Washington. He was never hashtag never Trump. Yeah, you know, I think he's always been willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and and uh, you know he's of course a wickedly witty, yeah, interesting guy. But you know, I mean that that statement, um, bungled collusion is still collusion, is you know it's a you know that's just a a really good way for him to say it. And yeah, I think they just have to do something. Now, one thing they, I think they've treated it as though, again, I don't know any facts on the inside of the White House on this, but I think they've treated it as like, this problem will go away. There's nothing there. Um, eventually it'll just go away. But you've got serious 
prosecutors and, you know, serious people looking at it, probably not going to go in. I think last week, for the first time, Trump really hired a serious, um, you know, basically criminal defense lawyer, mm. very well-regarded guy. Interestingly enough, if you're a baseball fan, this guy's name is Ty Cobb. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, he's, he's a very, very notable guy, and he's being brought into it because here's something that's uh, not not too well known, uh, but you know it's a federal crime. There's a statute, 18 U.S.C. 1001, Section 1001, that makes it a crime to make false statements to the government, and so the government means anyone who has some jurisdiction over anything. So. If you it, you don't have to be under oath, by the way, to violate this statute. So mm. If you fill out a form and you say something on that form that's inconsistent with what really happened, and by the way, that might be the case in in this very situation, uh, or if you make false statements, even if you're they're inadvertent false statements, you know their famous names: Bernie Madoff, mm. Martha Stewart, Governor of Illinois. Uh, uh, got his first name, Blagojevich. Yeah. Uh, the Enron, the whole Enron case, all all these cases actually centered on violation of that one provision. Now, there are other things also involved, but, uh, you know, so lying, misrepresenting to a federal official, that's a big problem. And that would be Donald not Trump Jr. Not, admit, not acknowledging that he had met with Russian officials? Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't want to uh, allegedly, you know, yeah, want to pretend the lawyer be the, be the lawyer here, but you've got forms that have been filled out, disclosure uh-huh. forms, uh, yeah, statements made to the press, which in and of themselves aren't problems, but who knows what was said to federal ethics officials, whatever said in congressional hearings. I, I'm making a broader point than right. just the right. the Trump Russia meeting, the Donald Jr. Trump meeting, but there could be a whole pattern of things in here. Even if people thought that they weren't colluding, uh, but but evidence comes out that they said one thing but did another thing, that gives federal prosecutors something to go on. Yeah, and I think I think that's the, if, if you're in Trump world right now, that's the thing you got to start really thinking about. If this isn't just a political problem that you can fight with tweets, this is going to play itself out in front of congressional committees. Uh, and in front of uh, uh, eventually uh, judges. And how much of this, I mean, really, it almost just makes you want uh, the the investigation by um, FBI, past FBI Director Mueller to just speed up. If we could get that done quickly, then, boy, this might, you know, at least let something be decided and something be settled. It seems at this rate, though, this this is going to go on for years. Could go on for years. I mean, these things often do, but it would be nice to start, and who knows, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but, uh, you know, if you could peel some of these issues off and deal with them and do whatever's going to happen, you know, make would disclose and then either go forward with indictments or not, it would be really, I think, good for our country yeah. to just let's let's deal with this thing uh, and let, let the chips fall where they may. And I think an increasing number... Of Republicans are thinking that also. Let's yeah. Just, let's just get this thing done. I mean, especially when you think midterms are coming. I mean, it's a while away, but it's still, you know, you got you got to get ready. And 
the ratings aren't looking good, things aren't looking good, the polls aren't looking good. Um, we're not able to pass certain things. In fact, let's do this, Joe. Let's take a break, come back and talk health care. What's going on with the okay. health care initiative? And boy, if all of a sudden one senator is sick and we're not able to vote on it, that seems like uh, maybe it's not as strong as it needs to be. Stick with us. We'll continue the journey more with Joe Cannon. Joe in the note, we call him. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the line is Joe in the know. Joe is the uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, uh, an organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. And uh, because of his history and experience, we like to just pick Joe's brain um, for all things political. See what he says. Give us some insight. Teach us what we know and what we don't know. And uh, Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. Hey, what do you think Uh, about uh, this... (laughs) This this healthcare bill because apparently repeal and replace is not as easy as anybody thought it was going to be. No, it actually was the most interesting pieces I read over the weekend was, and I'm sorry that I can't remember who I was just looking for, but said the real problem here is it's like the dog catches the garbage truck. (laughs) Uh, No one no one really thought that. Trump was going to win. Yeah. So they were free to just go guns blazing against this nightmare, this horrible thing, you know, just everything they passed. I don't know how many bills uh, that, you know, President Obama vetoed. And but all of a sudden, the garbage truck was caught. The dog's standing there. Okay, what do we do? (laughs) Now what? And I don't think they were really prepared for it. So that's the, you know, big problem. They simply weren't ready with a bill. And then they still had, they still had nine months or so, eight or nine months, you know, to do something. So what Uh, is it? When when you're, when you're, when you're saying that you've got to wait for a senator who's no particular fan of Donald Trump and not even a particular team player uh, within within the Senate, and the whole thing comes down to John McCain's eye surgery. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You 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 got a big problem. Something's not right. And is and again too. Plus some of the some of the things we were hearing last week about pre existing conditions maybe being up in the air. Other issues. I mean, and then I even heard uh, them saying, "Yeah, once we pass this, this is just like the the beginning. This is just the first the first iteration, and I'm thinking, oh, 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 what? Yeah. How could this, this no. is a bill, you're passing a bill, right? Well, you're passing a bill, and there there are two aspects to the, this is just a stage. One of them, one of them is what you just were kind of pointing out, is, well, we'll do this, and then we'll come back and revisit certain things later, but there's an even earlier problem, and that is, this bill in the Senate and the bill in the House are not, not only not the same, there's violent opposition in both bodies within themselves and against each other. So wow. this bill eventually goes to conference. Well, that's that even that's many steps down the road. But uh, but I think no one believes that whatever the Senate passes, that somehow the House is going to embrace that. So the best the Senate gets away with is doing something before the 2018 election. 
Mm. And get it, getting it off their radar scope. But I, uh, no, but even, even as you were kind of pointing out earlier, we know right now that there are two senators said they're not going to vote for it. Right. There are varying counts, somewhere between six and 10 other senators, six and 10 other senators who've expressed serious reservations. Now, they, that's, they're in the process of being bought off by, uh, Senator McConnell, various in various ways, but you know, uh, it doesn't take very many, and, so, and and some of those senators have strong views, even though they haven't come out with them. I mean, that's part of their negotiating strategy. You know, they're not they're not saying publicly where they are, but people privately are saying, yeah, there's senators that have. It's not just Collins and Rand, Senator Collins and Senator Paul. It's it actually seems like because at first the whole idea was Obamacare, you know, let let it fail, let it fail. It'll be on the hands of the Democrats and Obama. And it seems like now it's dead in the hands of the Republicans. They can't pass anything to fix it and they can't pass anything to repeal to repeal it. Yeah, no, clearly uh, the Republicans own the health care problem now. And that's all. There's another way that that's uh, it's probably not it's not good as a matter of public policy what's going on. But but even just looking at it raw, you know, from a raw political perspective, this is angering the base of Republicans. Mm. You know, so all these all these people uh, campaigned on repeal and replace. Mm-hmm. And neither of those things is going to happen, and you've got a lot of a lot of strong percentage of that uh, thirty-five or so percent of the base of the Republican Party that supports President Trump, uh, many of whom aren't Republicans to start with. I mean, you're you're going into a political season with a very big liability if you're a Republican, and the Democrats, you know. If you were to say uh, the day after the election, Trump wins, you've got 10 really vulnerable, well, 8 to 10 really vulnerable Democrat senators. Looks like the Republicans would pick up seats in the Senate and they probably wouldn't get mortally damaged in the House. All of that's in play now. All of that is in play. Do you do you sense that there's also kind of a white uh, the White House is absent from this? It seems like the White House should be more involved in pushing their position, you know, getting out there and getting this passed and and working the senators more. But it doesn't seem like President Trump is as involved in this. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people will say that, and that's, and, you know, it's true. You've got to start connecting out political actions and policy actions uh, if you want to win elections. And I, I think, I don't know, but I think what the, you know, President Trump is thinking is, well, look, I won. You know, yeah. so what, what, what Give me what I want. <laughs> right. I, I won, and, and I'll win again. And I will say he does have... One thing going for him, and that is the Democrats are also themselves pretty unpopular. Right. Uh, so the, maybe he's right. Maybe his strategy is going to be, okay, you know, yeah, we've got a lot of liabilities. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. You know, just da 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 End of the day, um, uh, you got a big problem when you, when you don't get your policy and your politics right. Mm. 
Boy, uh, what do you think about his visit to Paris? It seems like uh, he's getting to know Emmanuel Macron a, a lot better. They're, they seemed really chummy, uh, except for the comment about his wife, Macron's wife, and how she really is in good shape. Um, She's in good shape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. For an ex-year-old woman. Yeah. yeah. So, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know how to comment on that. Okay, that I mean that was just again. It's just it's just very typical Trump there. Um, what what do you think going? F- I mean, well, do I you think our relationship there will work? Yeah. Well, I'd make one comment. I, I think uh, apparently he's pretty successful. Trump is pretty successful on in one on one meetings, and I think they both have something to gain out of this. They both have something to gain politically. And I think they both probably came out a little bit winners uh, on this. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's any big downside for either of them. You know, Trump sort of toyed with uh, his, uh, the French president's, you know, affections on the Paris climate treaty. Well, maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we'll look at that again. Maybe we'll think about that. Right. He said that dozens of times and, Anyway, I, I I don't think there was any downside for either of the guys. There are a lot of nice pictures, and uh, hmm. you know, got, Trump got to be in Paris on Bastille Day, big day, big deal. Yeah, I mean, th- I guess that's the thing, I, and and you can say anything you want behind the doors to to create and make the negotiations work, and I think that's one thing that President Trump's very good at is you know letting everything kind of float. Putting a lot of stuff out there and, you know, working it as we go. In the end, um, now it sounds like President Trump's going to move more to the the more kind of the U.S. economy, the economic uh, direction, trying to do what he can to, to move that. It, it seems like he hasn't had a lot of victories short of the Supreme Court uh, nomination. It, what what does he need to do to to have some victory? What's an immediate victory President Trump could 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 win? Well, I don't know if there's an immediate one, but one of the big problems is many. One of the problems of this sort of stalemate on health care is that it's preventing the economic program from going forward. So people can debate a lot about what they really believe about tax cuts. Uh, you know, many Republicans, and I'm, I'm one, believe that you've got to address taxes in order to stimulate growth. And that's not happening. Hmm. And, you know, you can't do that on the day before the election and have it make any uh, have any real consequence. So, you know, not 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 proceeding on the economic agenda is hurting right now. Yeah, it's I think hurt. it's hurting him in the ratings. You know, the, his overall uh, real good politics average is 40 percent positive, 55 percent negative. But in the latest poll. It's thirty nine percent positive and fifty six negative, and that's a that's hmm. really huge. And of that, tw- only twenty five percent strongly support and forty eight percent strongly oppose. That's two to one. That's those are really that's a really bad number. Hmm. And something has to happen on that, or you know, unless the, unless the Democrats get even worse, you know, um, uh, he's going to be in trouble in twenty eighteen. Boy. That's scary. Uh, one thing we really need to have you comment on because of your work uh, with Fuel Freedom Foundation is uh, one thing that I keep hearing over and over is Trump. Trump, although he seems like he's being played by Putin, 
Trump may be having a really good position and the United States over Russia because of oil and energy uh, decisions that Trump's making. What, what do you think about uh, his positioning uh, as far as the energy goes? Well, we, of course, we as a foundation think that there are some more and interesting things you could do in terms of using natural gas in the transportation fuel system that could really make us energy independent. Hmm. But but beyond that, uh, you know, more drilling, lower oil prices, uh, exporting natural gas to uh, to Poland, all those things uh, make it look like if if. Uh, Putin wanted Trump to win. Not sure what he's getting out of it. Yeah, he I mean, we've bombed, we've bombed their allies in Syria. Uh, we've been taking some pretty bold steps, uh, sort of trying to hem in Russia. But energy is the Achilles' heel for Russia, and uh, just say you know continued low oil prices and more natural gas getting to Europe. That's that's bad for for russia mm. boy okay joe what do we need to know we got about a minute uh left or so anything that we're overlooking what should we be paying attention to okay so i'm going way way beyond politics here but tomorrow is the 200th anniversary of the death of possibly the greatest novelist of all time mm. namely jane austen ah. so jane austen died 200 years ago Tomorrow, uh, uh, if people would, if you people want delight, if you only care about movies, there are plenty of Jane Austen movies, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, but read a Jane Austen novel in commemoration of this 200th anniversary. So start that's, with Pride and Prejudice, read Emma. Anyway, so yeah, that, that's, that's great. It. And keeping it classy. Of course, Joe. You're always keeping it okay. classy. And we, we I'm, rereading, I'm rereading Emma in, in commemoration of this uh, 200th anniversary. Oh, you know what? Okay, good. And by the way, I, I failed to mention earlier, apparently one of your big hitters on the Los Angeles Dodger, Dodgers uh, basically had a, an awesome game. He, he, he hit for the cycle. Playing baseball. The Dodgers have been playing baseball since 1884. They've never had a rookie do this. And he hit for the entire cycle. So a home run, triple, double, single. Yep. That's great. Yep. And yeah, no, he's he's and he's just turned twenty two. Like Holy either, cow. Just before or just after that. Yeah. So he's an amazing guy. I know. Bellinger for, That's it. Yeah. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Keep up uh keep taking care of uh protecting Jane Austen and the Dodgers as well. It's quite the uh the great combination there. We'll take a break, my friends. Continuing the journey, helping you get through life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, as we talk politics, um, again, it tends to just be so divisive, doesn't it? It just it tends to – everybody grabs their stick and they immediately start swinging. But we have some big decisions that need to be made in our country uh, from health care, of course, to energy um, and how we, how we propose uh, and, and use our energy to climate management and control and, and global warming, all of these different – Topics and yet we 
we sit divided and let time tick. How many times for how many years have other uh, political parties and, and leaders just passed decisions down because they were incapable of making some of them? Well, there comes a point and when we need to unite. And so can I just suggest to all of us that we we push a little bit harder on our legislators. We try to look a little deeper into seeing the whole problem instead of just blaming the other party. Uh, boy, it would be huge to bring a little maturity to our political world. That's the first hour. Stick with us. We'll be back continuing the journey. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you a leg up in life. You know, most of us were not born with an, an owner's manual. We have to figure it out as we go. Today, we're going to be talking about marriages and uh, how you take, I mean, every marriage is going to have imperfection, right? Major problems at times, some minor problems. Even Donald Trump's might have a problem here and there. But isn't it part of being uh, kind of an evolved person as you grow in the marriage just to overlook your partner's problems and and shortcomings and issues? Yes, and even, even though more you may not have any, that's right. Right, you don't, but they do, and right. you. It'd be better that you overlook those. Half the marriage is perfect; the other half is still working on it. It's fine. <laughs> we don't really fight. Yeah, see, in my world, that's not always a good thing. Really? Yeah. What not, if things are just great? What if they're just peachy? No, that's great. That's great. But see, so generally, some of the research shows health, really healthy couples have conflict. There's things see, you should you Matt, should have differences. Matt is a marriage consultant. Yeah, Coach. if there isn't a problem, then he doesn't really have a job. So <laughs> yeah, well, the, the difference is that so unless oh, you married your twin, there should be some differences in just even desires. Okay, all interests. right. Here's an example. Yeah. I like to put down a cup where in, in a particular place so that it's known to me that I'm not done with this. You, know, you assume that it's known to everybody this else. Is, yeah. I'm not done with this cup. You're still working I the left cup. It, I left it here for a very specific reason. I'm not being lazy. Yeah. And it's always gone when I go back for it again. Yes. It's always in the sink or put in the cupboard. It's like been put away. She, and does, she, does your wife just think, man, why doesn't he ever just put his cup away? Probably, yeah. You know what I like to do? That's when I just hook the cup to my hip. I just have a little carabiner <laughs> and I just clip it to my hip and carry my cup with me. But sometimes it's I'll, – I'll put it down, go across the room, turn around, and it's already gone. She's wow. fast. She is fast. My wife will actually make the bed while I'm still in it. Maybe she's trying to tell you something. Oh, I think she is. It's like 3 in the afternoon, time to get out of bed. <laughs> I think she's trying to. So we're going to talk today about how – to handle these imperfect marriages and maybe blow up the myth that marriage should be perfect. So marriage consultant would be improper of a way to describe what you do. Well, yeah, consulting is a weird word. Like I'm more like a married – I'd say a coach. Okay. Yeah. Not Con- a consultant? Well, a consultant is something like – it seems like you do with people. I'm not a wedding planner. I, I don't I – don't, I'm not – I don't plan the weddings. I'm not a – I'm not a marriage consultant. I'm a – 
I'm a relationship coach. Okay. Well, I just wanted to clarify. You seem a little. It just seems like that's like I hit a raw nerve somehow. Well, it's just a I weird word. It's like it's like you're not a producer, right? You're a showmaker. Yeah, I am. Should we make you? I make I, show. A showman. I'm a showmaker. <laughs> well, that's how I have to. Like people ask me what I do, and I have to kind of break it down to more simplistic pieces. So they're like, "Oh, okay, that's what you do." Because you say you're a producer, and they're like, "What?" Or in German, showmaker. Yeah. See, hmm. it's all confusing when you get away from English. It really is. By the way, um, I forgot to tell you guys: Happy World Emoji Day. If you're texting, smiley face. What did we used to do before we had emojis? Text, words, talk to each other. Oh, that seems hard. But now you can get so much done with just one, you know, thumbs up. Yeah, my wife's been doing that more often. I like the thumbs up emoji. But a how lot. do you know it's not a sarcastic thumbs up? Well, that would be that would be a different digit. Hmm. There's a lot of now you can have like high fives. I think mm-hmm. hang loose. You can do all these different things with emojis that you you used to never be able to do. And the smiley faces I like, but they confuse me. There's too many of them, and I don't know what every little squinting eye, smiley, blush. I don't know what they all mean. So I get a little confused on the smileys. But then the weird thing about emojis, too, is not only do you – you have to choose your skin tone, your skin color of tone. So what – and sometimes I'm like I feel like I'm tanner than just – I mean I'm darker skinned than just white. Like porcelain yeah. white. Yeah, yeah. But then I don't want to like pretend like I'm darker than I am or lighter than I am. It just right. creates a lot of pressure on you. Do you have a favorite emoji? I don't use them. Um – I have a favorite emoji, but I don't talk about it on the air. I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you? You don't even need an emoji to express. It's the flag of Australia. It's actually <laughs> it's, it's the it's the woman in the red dress <laughs> dancing some tango or something. Some... No, it's I'm sure it's the one that Patrick Stewart is going to be playing in the new emoji movie. I don't even know what that one is. Terry knows exactly what it is. I don't know what that is, but um, okay. I yeah, that my favorite one is the dancing is the dan- the, the Spanish dancer lady, d- dancing lady. See, but then okay. again, how do you know she's Spanish? Yeah. I don't know. It's cultural appropriation. Totally. Totally. What are you is. doing? Uh so we'll be talking <laughs> world emojis all day today as well, plus some crazy headlines. A kindergartner evacu uh, kindergarten was evacuated after a child brings a bomb to class. A World War II oh. unexploded bomb yeah. to class. Look what I found. Yeah, show and tell. Yeah. Hit the ground. <laughs> it's gonna blow. Also, a little girl took her hamster to the vet because it hadn't moved for days. We'll talk about that as well. Oh yeah. Kind of a difficult day for little girls, but first let's get to uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? In the Tonto National Forest, north of Phoenix, nine people were killed when a flash flood on Saturday over over afternoon swept through a swimming hole where a family was having a gathering. Officials said the flash flood hit the Cold Spring swimming hole around three nineteen in the afternoon. Fourteen people washed away. A search and rescue team was able to rescue four people on Saturday. Sunday, they recovered bodies of two more victims. Police say they are still searching for one more missing person, a 27-year-old man. The local fire department said there have been several forest fires recently in the area and that it is likely uh, why so much debris washed down into the swimming hole. Normally, it's just a trickle 
of water coming down the creek, but uh, during the monsoon season, it can go from a foot deep to 10 feet deep in a matter of minutes. So tough wow. weekend there. Oh, Facebook is fighting a court order that blocks a social media giant from letting users know when law enforcement investigators ask to search their online information, particularly their political affiliations and comments. Major technology companies and civil liberty groups have joined Facebook in the case, which resembles legal challenges throughout the country from technology companies that uh, oppose how the government seeks access to internet data in emails or social media accounts during criminal investigations. The Washington the side of the Washington Post. Facebook is arguing in the D.C. Court of Appeals that the order violates First Amendment protections of the company and individuals. Wow. So we'll see where that fight goes because, you know. Yeah. They want to get in there because there's, you know, terrorism and ISIS and troublemakers. But at the same time, you know, there's your mom's pictures. So what do you want to do? What do you do? When a wildfire quickly approached their house in Oroville, California, earlier this month, the Orsolo family had just a few minutes to grab some valuables and escape to safety. Mark Orsolo, 34, had been collecting movies for years, and his sister, Danielle, grabbed trash bags and started throwing in as many DVDs as she could. She was only able to save about 20 of more than the 300 movies when Orsolo, who has Down syndrome, found out the fire destroyed his collection. He was distraught. Oh, sad. So he's usually so happy all the time. I felt bad I didn't grab more, his sister said. Uh, then they asked uh, friends and family if they'd be interested in sending him a few movies if they have yeah, some extra cool. ones around. He ended up with, uh, in a few days, he had over 400 DVDs back <laughs> in this collection, so he had more. And then uh, strangers have also rallied to help their parents, bringing more than $10,000 to help them rebuild their house. Oh, my heavens. That's cool. That's That's great. It is a, you know, the story was grab as many movies as she can and she grabbed 20. Yeah. Which ones did she grab? I know. Was she being selective? Was she like, ooh, we can need this one? No, we don't Maybe need that one. Maybe she just like did A through D. I don't know, but you know, they're DVDs. Just grab stacks and go. Yeah. Think, this is the type of question you'd hear in college. If your house was burning down, which movies would you take with you? <laughs> which would you save? Good idea. So, kind of a good outcome there. Cool. Finally, a mall in Shanghai, China has made the baffling decision to introduce husband storage facilities. Glass pods where women can drop off their husbands while they go shopping. There are a number of questions raised by these pods, mainly if men hate shopping with their wives so much, why couldn't they just go to one of the other stores in the shopping mall? Right. Right? There's all kinds of things There's going on in a mall. There's other stores there. They're not just all, you know, for the, the, the wives, I guess. Yeah. The Global Harbor Mall, which these glass cylinders were installed and which contains 270,000 square foot of floor space, has plenty of other stores they could go to. There are even non-shopping alternatives like admiring all the fresco decorations or sitting on a bench by the food court and contemplating life. I mean, that's what people uh, do in the mall, right? That's what I do. I think basically malls are just horrible. Uh, when do men uh, – so it goes on and says, on the bright side, for the husbands, at least each individual pod at the mall contains a computer monitor and a gamepad so they can play retro video games to their heart's content. According to a Chinese newspaper, the games are currently free, but in a few months, they'll be required to scan a QR code or use their phones and pay a small fee – so they can actually use these pods. So the fun will be over soon. So if you need to you want to try these out, Matt, you need to get to Shanghai. Man, i got to hurry. Also, the pods currently have, don't have ventilation or AC. Ugh. So many people are drenched in sweat after five minutes of gaming, which really kind of eliminates the uh, comfort factor. This isn't the first time China has explored using the concept of husband storage in malls or husband cloakrooms. They've been springing up around the country since 2010. Boy, sure. Hmm. It, it, it makes husbands sound like they... <laughs> They're like kind of brainless. They can't. Yeah. Boring. You, you sit here. I'll be right back, honey. You sit here. I'm going to put you in this locker. Sure, you'll sweat, but mommy will be back. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So I don't know. He could just go and do something else or if – I well, mean, I mean there is the dread of watching your wife try on like 20 dresses. Yeah, but is that a dread or is it like, whoa, yeah, there's another one. You, uh-huh. There's another one. You could just go somewhere else in the mall, yeah. Yeah. Go for a walk. Yeah, or you could just learn to be pleasant doing last, something last, you don't last love Last time I went to the mall, they had those little trains that drove around the uh-huh. uh, the aisles. I mean, I guess they're for kids, but you could just jump on there. What do they do? Kick you off? That's right. Hey, so Terry and I have been vulnerable here this morning. Have you? Yeah, we've shared. Well, he shared about his wife's dresses. I shared about the frustration of leaving a cup and not having it stay in that place. Yeah. What's yours? What's your pet peeve or your frustration your vulnerability. Mm. Oh, I, I think I shared that my wife tucks or uh, makes the bed around. Oh, me that's every true. That's true. You did. But I, I don't have any pet peeves against my wife. But you will air publicly. But I will air publicly. Gotcha. I mean, uh, the court documents speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the filings um, from my lawsuit with my wife; those all speak for themselves. Wow. No, honestly, I think marriage is. Part of it is sometimes you just need to go to the mall with your wife hmm. when you don't want to. That's right. And watch her put on dresses. And who goes like to it. the mall? Yeah, I haven't been to a mall forever, though. I usually go to the store that's in the parking lot of the mall now. Yeah. Those are the places we the end up. The outer so. mall. I'll go to that. the food court in the mall. Mm. By the way, I had a great churro the other day. From? Uh, churro it just, Express. It was just where I, I gave a speech. I was giving a speech, and it was just at the... Ski resort where I was. Is it from Chim Chimney Churro? Mmm. Chim Chim. Speaking of Chim Chimney Churro, got a great story. Huh. I got to bring this up about a hamster. So, do you guys? Did you guys have a pet growing up? I had a bunny. I had a um, what? In the <laughs> world? Oh, yeah. Somebody just brought a bear, a Stuffed little bear cub. Near the studio. That's, like that's, a taxidermied bear cub yeah, huh. right up to the window. That about freaked me out. Um, I had a dog. Hamster, I had a hermit dance. crab. I love this song. Go ahead. It's hamster dance. So check this out. Little this girl, hamster was not dancing. Used to move my email this, notification on my computer. <laughs> this little girl in Northampton, England, worried that her pet hamster got a shock when uh, uh, she was taken to the pet vet. Uh, the rodent apparently... Hadn't been moving for three days. Not normal. Not normal. That's trouble. It just sat at the edge of her cage, wouldn't eat or drink anything. So the little girl who was so attentive noticed that something's not right with her hamster, took her to the vet, and uh, when they they put it out for the vet, um, the vet didn't move for the vet either. And then anyway, the vet took a closer look at the hamster and then said, did anything else happen? She said, well, the, the hamster had run underneath a refrigerator. And apparently when it had been underneath the refrigerator, it had found a magnet, just a little magnet that goes, you know, and apparently ate the magnet. And then the magnet made the gerbil stick to the metal (laughs) cage. To the bottom of the cage. That's awesome. They noticed there was something in the cheek pouch of the cute little gerbil, and it was a fridge magnet. (laughs) So once you take the the magnet out of the gerbil's mouth, it could now move and eat. So its face was stuck to the bottom of the cage. Can you imagine what would be worse than being a gerbil stuck to the, a cage? Well, do we have Netflix? In no this? Netflix. Mm, you couldn't would eat, you couldn't drink, mm. and you couldn't speak to your little friend. You, you have that hamster wheel, and it's just sitting there. Yeah. You can't use it. It's torture <laughs> enough. Poor, wow. poor little gerbil. Well, all ended well, though. Yeah, I mean, nobody died. Then he started dancing. 
And then this is now audio from the gerbil singing the gerbil song. And apparently playing the keyboard. Boy, that gerbil can rip that keyboard. Good stuff. See, life is good once you remove the magnet that keeps you stuck. When we come back, we'll be talking with Jill Savage. No more perfect marriages. How to manage the imperfection in your marriage. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You know, marriage is hard and requires constant care and attention, and sometimes we'll still falter and struggle even if we do everything right. In her, uh, in, in the recent book, No More Perfect Marriages, Experience the Freedom of Being Real Together, our next guest, uh, Jill Savage, is, by the way, a returning guest. She and her husband wrote the book together, and they tackle some hard questions and give some great advice on how to make our marriages stronger, a little easier, and boy, even just if they could teach us how to be more real together, that alone would be worth it. Jill, thank you again for being with us today. Yes, I'm glad to ha- uh, have the opportunity to chat with you. This is an interesting uh, a topic because it does seem like, in some regard, even though this is our soulmate, our life partner, our our lover, whatever we want to call it, a lot of us just, we're not very real with each other. No, we aren't. And much of that comes from our own upbringing. And we don't, you know, necessarily realize it. We don't uh, recognize that we keep our, our hearts guarded with each other. And when we do that, what we do is we actually kind of separate our heart from our spouse. And we do that one centimeter at a time. Uh. So you don't really notice it. Yeah, it kind of we sneak it out there, don't we? We do. And then one centimeter becomes two and you still don't notice it and three and and still not a big deal. But when centimeters become inches and inches become feet and feet become yards and yards become miles. That's where people get to the place to go, and they, you know, even utter the words, I don't love you anymore. I don't, uh, I don't want this marriage to continue. And it's because they have allowed what we call the slow fades to begin to invade their marriage. Mm. And um, they've stopped being real with each other. And so really what Mark and I wanted to do with this book was help couples begin to identify the slow fades in their in their marriage, and we all have them. We're all dealing with them, and to put a label on them, to understand them, to know they exist, but then also uh, to provide what we call the eight God tools that turn those fades around. Is is some of this the fact that we just have an expectation that marriages are going to be? I guess the word we use a lot is perfect. And so how many of our problems are actually caused simply because we expect perfection? Exactly. In fact, that's um, slow fade number one, and that is unrealistic expectations. And so, and we, and most of us would say, I don't expect perfection. We would say, oh, I don't expect myself to be perfect. I don't expect myself to be perfect. I don't expect marriage to be perfect. But when imperfect shows up, we usually don't handle it well. <laughs> so we so don't expect it, but we do. Clue. Yeah. Yeah. That's our first clue that actually we are dealing with what we call the perfection infection. And it is pulling our hearts away from each other. Mm. And is it, I mean, I guess that's, that's correctable, right? It's just, how do you it take, uh, 
how do you take kind of a perfectionistic view of it and and I guess normalize it to just allow it to be what it is? Well, I think that the first thing we have to think about is where did my um, where did my images of perfection come in my marriage? Where what has set me up for unrealistic expectations? So I'll give you some examples from our own experience. My husband was raised in a, a very abusive home. Um, there was physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, there was uh, sexual abuse. There was every kind of abuse. And, um, and so he saw nothing but rage and anger and conflict. And so what he said is, when I get married, my marriage is not going to look like that. Hmm. And, and, you know, which is an honorable desire, but the truth is he didn't know what a healthy marriage looked like, so he set up in his mind a fantasy, a fantasy that was exactly the opposite of what he had grown up in, but it went so far over on the spectrum that it fell into perfectionism. Mm. So there's a perfect example of how somebody can, um, you know, put the perfection infection in for a good reason, but not realize they went too far. Yeah. Now, I grew up in a wonderful home. Um, my parents have been married for 56 years. They are, um, uh, it was a beautiful family full of love. Um, my parents took us to church, so faith was a part of our family from, you know, day one for me. Um, but I never saw my parents disagree. I never saw my parents have conflict. And so what did I do without realizing it? I came into marriage with the expectation that there wouldn't be conflict just because I'd never seen it before. Yeah. And so then suddenly marriage is not looking the way I thought it would look. Marriage is not looking the way my husband thought it would look. And we're becoming discontent with our very real marriage. Mm. So, so see, both of those are examples from our home of origin. But then you add in the media, the movies we watch, the television shows we watch. I mean, we watch a movie and they solve big life issues, big marriage issues in two hours or less. Right. You know, so without realizing it, we begin to just be infected with these unrealistic expectations of ourselves, our spouse, and of marriage. So the first step is to, to correcting it is to actually begin to think about where did that come from for me? Mm. Where have I uh, gotten this idea that is causing me to be discontent in my very real marriage? And then the second thing we do is we begin to use um, our our God tools uh, to turn those around. And um, as we you know, look at each fade, and we talk about in No More Perfect Marriages the seven slow fades. So we've got the slow fade of unrealistic expectations. We have the slow fade of minimizing, of not accepting, slow fade of disagreement, of defensiveness, of naivety, and of avoiding emotion. And then as we begin to deal with those slow fades, we identify them and we say, all right, what do I need? What tool do I need to begin to turn this fade around? And um, in every marriage needs to have a toolbox of tools that help them with the everyday challenges of marriage. Mm, that's and great. that's where we turn it around. Yeah. Is it uh, maybe help us understand um, what, if perfect isn't what it's supposed to look like, maybe let us understand or help us understand what normal is. Like, 
Because <laughs> I think that's it, is we all have a, a great expectation of what it would be like if the prince came in and the kiss lasted ever after. But what does every other marriage look like and what's normal? Yeah, that's a great question. And it just so happens that I live in normal Illinois, by the way. Oh, do you really? So. How great is that? <laughs> so perfect. Tell us what normal looks like in normal. So, uh, so normal looks like um, conflict happens. It does. It has to. Yeah. And here's why. You are two very different people with di- very different views in this world. Uh, you see the world through different angles. And quite frankly, your, ner- your marriage needs both of those angles both of those perfect uh, perspectives. So conflict is normal, and it will happen. It is actually growth trying to happen in our marriage. Hmm. But what happens is we either um, react to conflict in a way that shuts our spouse down or shuts the conflict down because we try to control, um, and then we don't make any progress when we do that, or we try to sweep conflict under the rug and pretend we have no conflict. And, and then, again, we're not able to grow through the conflict. So we need to recognize that conflict is normal. Um, a second thing that is normal is for feelings to come and go. It is normal for those feelings to come and go. Sometimes you will feel very in love with your spouse. Uh, you will just be filled with the tinglys, you know, and you'll see your, your husband or your wife and they're doing something and all of a sudden your heart just warms up and you're just like, oh, I love that side of him. I love that side of her. But then there are days where you're just like, I, I don't like them. Yeah. I don't really like them. And uh, it just seems like you're, you're hitting each other, you're bumping into each other's differences. And, uh, and so those feelings, those warm, fuzzy feelings go away. And that is normal. We need to recognize that. It is normal. Now, if it is feeling, you know, that way more often and uh, always, you're always feeling, you know, that, that that love has gone away, then that's when you get to use the God tool of, of love and you get to choose love because you're not going to feel love. Yeah. And it may even be a red flag that tells you, hey, maybe we need a little bit of help. Maybe it's time to, um, you know, seek out some help to help get over these bumps that we seem to, to constantly be running into. Um, but it is normal for feelings to go up and down. Yeah, and I guess and, that's the key. I mean, and what you start to notice, too, it seems like is that the feelings going up and down um, can also they can it can happen just naturally without you doing much, but you can also reverse them and make them go up and down by being more proactive and and doing things like loving each other. Exactly, and most of us think that you know just talking here about the God tool of love. Most of us think of love as a feeling, but the truth is, love is a choice. And, uh, you know, we really have to recognize that, uh, you know, there are many days I'm sure God chooses to love us um, because we're not real lovable in the moment. Um, And so he chooses to love us. And so a lot of times with our spouse, we have to choose to love. And it is not easy. And one of the things we talk about in the book is we went through a very, 
very difficult crisis in our marriage six years ago. And, um, and it was, uh, my husband became a very disillusioned with life, disillusioned with marriage, disillusioned with the church, disillusioned with his faith. I mean, he was just very lost. And we look back on that and now know that that really was kind of a full-on midlife crisis. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, God taught me how to love during that season. Um, in a deeper way than I ever experienced, because up until that point, love had been a ping pong game between my husband and I. He would love me, I would love him back. He would love me, I would love him back. But during that season, he didn't even love himself. And so um, he certainly wasn't loving me or anyone else at that point in time. And so I just really, uh, I remember in the midst of that, um, uh, it was a very, very scary season, and I remember asking God, what do I do? What do I do? And I heard God whisper, I want you to love him. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Hold okay. it. He's not <laughs> even being nice, right? Yeah. Exactly. He doesn't deserve love. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, what I heard God kind of whisper back was, you know what, Jill, sometimes, you know, I remember I said, God, he's not real lovable right now. And God whispered back, Jill, sometimes you're not either. Oh, and that's thought, great. Okay. And I said, all right, Lord, you love me when I'm unlovable. Would you please show me how to love my husband while he's being unlovable? And I'm telling you, that was some growth, some huge growth on my part. Not easy, but I will say it was very powerful for me to experience that. And it was also very powerful for my husband to experience that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Boy, you know, and and we need it, don't we? Because it... Once we think love has to always be reciprocal, then the minute it's not, we just think it's time to be done. But at some point, yeah, you gotta you gotta give love no matter what because you're a loving person, right? And culturally, I think our culture, um, I think that's what we also messages that we see in the media, we see in celebrities' lives. You know, the people that are like always paraded in front of us, um, we don't see them choosing love. Um, we see them saying, oh, well, we fell out of love or, you know, making statements like that. And without realizing it, we become affected by those messages. So we have to keep um, God's way in front of us, which often isn't the popular way, but it is the way that helps us to go the distance in our very real, messy marriages. That's so true. So true. We're speaking with Jill Savage. Uh, You can find out more information at her website, jillsavage.org. And we're talking about her book, No More Perfect Marriages. Um, Interesting insight into uh, marriage and really how to how to find and, and create the freedom of being real together. It's, it's powerful stuff, and again, invoking uh, the power of, of God as part of that. We'll be back, folks, continuing the journey as we understand more about marriages. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Today we're talking about the book, No More Perfect Marriages. 
Experience the Freedom of Being Real Together. It's written by uh, Mark and Jill Savage. Joining us on the phone right now is Jill Savage. Uh, she's been on the show before with other books uh, that she has um, that uh, she's written, and today she's she's helping us understand that maybe the illusion of perfection is really more of an infection uh, to our relationships. Jill, thank you again for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And again, we come by that illusion of a perfect marriage. It, it, we might come by it quite naturally, but it does set us up. It seems like to to almost um, be less happy in our marriage than we would be if we just accepted that it's not going to be perfect. Right. It breeds discontentment. And um, that's a dangerous place. When you become discontent in your marriage, that is where your heart is pulled apart from each other and distance grows. Mm. And so anytime there's distance, what we want to do is we want to close that distance. We want to identify what it is, what's causing it, and then close that distance. And it is um, not always easy, but and oftentimes it requires us to step out in courage. In fact, that's one of the God tools of, um, that we talk about is the God tool of courage. And, um, and let me share with you, you know, some examples of, of yeah. when we use that courage. So um, I'll, I'll share from both my husband's perspective and my own. My husband was, as I shared earlier, was raised in a very abusive home environment in kind of an environment of children are to be seen and not heard. And so he learned early on he didn't have a voice and he couldn't use his voice. And if he did use his voice, he got in, he got in big trouble. And so he became an adult that didn't believe he had anything valuable to add to the mix. So in our marriage, he became very passive. Um, you know, he was quick to say, oh, it doesn't matter to me or whatever you want. Or, But the truth was, he did have a voice. Mm. And way deep inside it, even when he would say, oh, it doesn't matter to me, it really did matter to him. And he, he now says it, it, that he said, or that he was, thought that he was just letting things slide. I'm just letting it slide. It's no big deal. But what he now realizes is he was letting things pool. Mm. And as those things were pooling in his heart, he was growing more and more discontent in our marriage because he was uh, acquiescing his place in our relationship. And um, so he really, as he learned that and became more aware of it, he's had to learn, use his God tool of courage to speak up to find his voice and, um, and, and to really um, express what he thinks and what he feels. Mm. And so, and honestly, he didn't even know what he felt because he was told for so long his feelings didn't matter. He needed to, you know, he just needed to do whatever orders were barked at him. And so he really had to become, use his courage uh, to become more in touch with that and then put them out on the table in our relationship. That's powerful. I could even see how you could combine two of the tools, the God tools you've been talking about, of love and courage. So he had to be courageous yep. enough to say what he needed uh, to say, yep. but say it in a way that was still kind and loving. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so for me, I had to learn to use my God tool of courage in actually a pretty different way, and that was um, uh, while I was raised in a wonderful home environment with wonderful parents and wonderful family, we didn't do, we didn't do feelings. We really, uh, we were just kind of the, the strong family in the community. And um, if, if life got hard, we just bucked up 
and pushed through it and moved on. Mm. And, um, and so that made me um, emotionally strong, I guess you could say, but it also made me emotionally not vulnerable. And so my strength was sending a message to my husband that I did not need him. And I didn't mean to send that message to him. But I, you know, if life got hard um, and, and maybe I, I felt like I wanted to cry, I would go to my bedroom and I would cry alone because that's what I did all those years growing up. I yeah. cried alone. And so I would do that. But what I didn't realize is um, I, was, I was saying to my husband, I don't need you. I'm okay. Um, I, let me just go over here and take care of myself. And um, he longed. For, for me to be vulnerable with him. He longed to comfort me and to encourage me in those hard times and those hard seasons of life. So um, I, I can remember the day it turned around for me. This was um, shortly after that very, very hard season. Uh, during that hard season, my husband actually left for a season of time. He was mm. gone for four months. Um, he was unfaithful. Um, that was um, something we never, ever thought we would deal with. But eventually God got a hold of his heart. He came back home a completely different person. And we began 18 months of counseling to put our marriage back together. Mm. And that's when God really taught me so much about love and how to love him. But God was also teaching me about myself. And I knew there were places I needed to grow. And so um, I, and when I was walking through that, I was also had a friend who was walking through a similar situation. But unfortunately, her marriage, her husband didn't return home. And uh, I got a message from her, a text. And uh, it, it was the text that said, hey, it looks like things aren't turning around. And he's filed papers. And, you know, she was just heartbroken. And therefore, I was heartbroken. And I thought to myself, oh, I just need to cry. And I started up the stairs to my bedroom. And I caught myself halfway. And I thought, no, no, I have to do this differently in the second half of my marriage than I did in the first. My husband was sitting in the other room. So I went back down the stairs and I walked into the living room and I held out my phone and showed him the text. And I burst into tears, crawled into his lap and cried my eyes out. Hmm. The first time that had ever happened in 30 years of marriage. And that was a powerful moment for both of us, but it required my God tool of courage to do something very different than what I'd ever done before and to be emotionally vulnerable with my husband. Yeah. Boy, a powerful. And then, and he held you. I mean, he didn't. He did. He just, he just had to, he had to be safe in that space too and, and do his part. When it might be easier for him to run. I mean, that's what we always create these systems where you you run and uh, he doesn't voice. And then all of a sudden you get together and you stay and he holds you and he maybe can learn to voice. It's powerful. Exactly. It was very powerful for both of us, but also very scary because, um, you know, one of the things we say is you've got to push through awkward to get to a new normal. Hmm. And uh, I'm telling you, that was awkward for me. Totally. Um, it was. It felt awkward for him, and yet at the same time, he also loved it because he had longed for that kind of, of, of emotional vulnerability in our relationship. But I just didn't know how to get there, and quite frankly, he didn't either. So one of us had to take that first step, and it was scary. But we pushed through awkward, 
And now we do have it. And, and honestly, the next time it happened, it was still awkward. Yeah. And even the third time. But I will say now that we are four years down the road, five years, six years down the road, it's not awkward anymore. It's our new normal. That's pretty neat. And it's um, what's amazing, too, though, is you guys were informed. You were religious. You were doing a lot of things right. And you yeah. still have problems. I mean, that's the point of your book, isn't it? That even it being pretty normal, problems happen. It is. And, and the thing is, we were doing the big things. Uh, we were taking date nights. Uh, we were going away for our anniversary every year. Uh, we were speaking each other's love languages mm. and and really practicing that. So we were doing the big things. But what we weren't doing is we weren't tending to the little things, the things that were separating our hearts one centimeter at a time, the things that were simmering under the surface that we were just kind of sweeping aside or pretending they weren't there. We weren't dealing with those. And that's where uh, we began to experience erosion in our marriage. And so what we had to do is we had to start tending to the little things, things that in the past we had let slide. Now we were saying, no, I'm not going to let that slide. I'm actually going to deal with that. Um, we're going to be, to, um, to be assertive in our relationship. Assertive is a positive word. We're not talking aggressive. Yeah. Assertive. I'm, ta- I'm going to share the, what I'm feeling. I'm going to share what I'm struggling with. And, um, and that was new ground for us, um, but very, very, very important to do. Do you, um, I, I always have clients that say, well, yeah, Jill, but uh, you don't know my husband. <laughs> and um, so, so they kind of dismiss certain changes. How do you how what's the best way you've ever found to um to like rebuild trust to to get that negative interpretation of your partner out of your head and 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 forgive you you have a perfect example of needing to forgive and and move on but you had to rethink how you saw your partner i'm assuming absolutely you really do and um you know rebuilding trust is a two-way street um, it, it really is. Uh, I, you know, it was very scary because I had to risk again. I had to risk trusting him again. I had to risk loving him again after that terrible breach of, tr- of, of mistrust and, and betrayal. But he also, um, he played a big role in that, in that uh, he opened his life up. I mean, he, he took the password off of his phone. He uh, gave me his computer passwords. And he said, you know what, I- I'm an open book now. Um, and truly, he experienced a, um, a surrendering hmm. in his faith that I had never seen before. Um, Mark always used to call himself, um, he was kind of a hard disciple um, in that he just argued with God all the time. I don't understand this. It ticks me off, you know, which is fine for us to do that. But it also kept him from fully surrendering and trusting God. And so the man who came home after that year of of midlife crisis really was a different man, a very surrendered man. And that helped me to be able to begin to uh, take baby steps in trusting him. Um, and, And because he was very surrendered, he wasn't defensive anymore. So that really helped. Um, in fact, he would say, 
you know, if I would say, okay, I'm struggling here, you're going to be gone overnight, and I'm struggling here. And, you know, he never once uh, got angry with me and said, hey, you know, look, I've been home for three months, you just need to get over this. Instead, he would say, I'm I'm sure that this is hard. Hmm. And he was very validating. Um, what can we do that, that can reassure you? Uh, what can we do to increase accountability? And then, and then he would humorously say, and Jill, that was the old man. Um, you know, he's, he's buried out back. Uh, this is the new man. And uh, we'd laugh about that. But so we helped each other. Um, I spoke my concerns. He reassured my concerns. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, let's talk about forgiveness for a moment, because yeah. that is a God tool. We think that forgiveness is once and done. I want you to know that forgiveness is a daily, hour-by-hour, sometimes minute-by-minute choice. And um, if you're married, you probably need to be using your God tool of forgiveness about 20 times a day. Right, exactly. See, I think we think that forgiveness is for big infractions of mistrust. No, it's for the little things. It's when your spouse says that he'll run an errand and he forgets to do it. It's when she says that uh, she'll make a phone call for you uh, and, and, and she forgets to do it. It's for those human, those times where our humanness gets in the way. And, um, and so we have to have that God tool of forgiveness that allows us to, for, to, to forgive and, and deal with those places where we bump into each other's um, mistakes and imperfections. Mm. Um, and even with the infidelity, um, of course, I, I had to make a decision to forgive. And let me tell you, forgiveness is a choice. Yeah, not totally. Feeling, not going to feel like forgiving. But I also had to forgive lots of different facets of that. So when I would be, um, let's just say in the months afterwards, when I would be balancing the checkbook and things would be financially tight because of how much money he used in his separation and his decision to uh, pursue this other relationship and separate. Okay, I got to forgive in that moment. I'm sitting there with a checkbook in my hand, and I'm dealing with the consequences of my husband's poor choices. And that is a moment where I have to choose to forgive. Yeah, no, exactly. And boy, the power of being able to make that choice It all can be found in the book by Jill Savage and Mark Savage. No perfect marriages. Experience the freedom of being real together. You can find out more information at jillsavage.org. Jill, thank you so much for your time, for being with us, and for uh, giving us a, a, a lift in how we can make our marriages better. We'll take a break. We'll be back wrapping up uh, this hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. So, do you remember kindergarten and those great uh, days where you'd bring your show and tell? Well, what you know, I love those days because then if you got a new toy, you bring it, you kind of brag about how cool your new toy is. Well, a child in Germany sparked the evacuation of kindergarten on Wednesday by unearthing a second World War bomb, World War II bomb, um, bringing it back to the classroom. The youngster found an incendiary bomb on a walk in the woods, and then carried the bomb into the kindergarten class. 
Yikes! A police spokesman said after the strange object was spotted on a shelf, the teachers immediately notified police and took the children out to the playground, she added. Explosive experts rushed to the scene to retrieve the bomb and allowed the children to return to the kindergarten. Um, They later swept the site in the forest for other bombs and uh, eventually gave it the all clear. So look, Mommy. What I found on my walk, you know, you go on those little nature walks in kindergarten. I remember learning like in third grade about Giardia in the rivers. So the worst thing I could have brought back would have been Giardia. Giardia, isn't she a chef on the Food Network? Yeah, Chef Giardia. Yeah. She's like the the least liked chef because she always causes stomach irritation. Really? Yeah. I think that's a different one you're thinking of. Mm. Um, But boy, bringing back an explosive device, a bomb, a mine basically, boy. That's going to get you in trouble. This makes me think of because it took place in Germany. Yeah, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger is from Austria, ah. and he played a an undercover kindergarten teacher in Kindergarten Cop. <gasps> Maybe that's where the story came from. It's a bomb. <laughs> get to the chapa. <laughs> chapa. Get think, these kids to recess. I think chapa is in uh, Iraq, isn't it? Somewhere near that. <laughs> anyway, uh, good stuff. Watch out what your kids uh, are taking to uh, to their show and tell. You don't want to have an explosion. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be back next hour. More fun, more excitement about uh, learning to live a healthier life. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy World Emoji Day. The day you get to uh, improve not just every text message with your great content of your own, but you now can use emojis. To communicate. Wait for it. I meant to send him a smiley face, but sent a puking guy in its place. Oops, wrong emoji. Oh, yeah. You get the wrong emoji in there. You get the green face smiley, and then, yeah, you've made it look really bad. And the praying hands. Are they praying hands? And then they have clap, like heaven hands. I don't know. See? There's so many emojis, and I need an emoji thesaurus or something to get me through my emoji. An emoji usage. translator. That's what I need. And this is probably out there somewhere. I'm sure it is. But it, it is helping, I guess, somehow. Because now we don't even need to look at each other, talk to each other, use words. Now I can just use a thumbs up. We've cracked the code. We've cracked the code. Slowly eliminating <laughs> any need to actually use words with each other. How fun is that? Hey, got a a great uh, um, topic coming up. We're going to be talking um, with our friend, Kim Giles, who's on the show regularly. She's going to be bringing in one of her uh, partners from her coaching company, and we will be getting into what they call the 12 psychological inclinations. It's kind of like a Myers-Briggs test, but it's, it's basically how you lean psychologically and uh, it's, it's we've we've talked about it a little bit on the show a few uh, weeks ago, but we're going to get in depth. So, which way do I lean, Matt? Uh, Psychologically. Well, I don't want to get into it because it's kind of negative. Myers Briggs isn't that like Braxton Hicks? Uh, different. Okay, but two people with different. 
purpose. It's in the ballpark that they're people's names. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, you, everyone's got kind of a, an inclination. Like Myers Briggs talks about if you're an introvert, extrovert, how you like to process your information, your data, all these things. So, Clarity Point Coaching mm. and Kim and uh, Nicole Cunningham will be joining us to to we'll have them evaluate you. Eh. Don't you think that'd be great? It feels like it might be more time that it would need to than we have for the show. Not really, and it might kind of get. I think they could read you like a book. Really? Do you think it would be fast? You know what I would be interested in seeing is if you were to send Terry a text with nothing but emojis and see if they could guess what type of psychological inclinations you have. Mm. You're trying to now mix the day with the guest. That could be great. That's called a segue, kind of. Now that's a segue. Mm, I don't think it is. (laughs) It's bridging the gap. Yeah, it's a type of it's a type of segue. Anyway, we'll we'll see what we get to with that because it all also depends on how much time we have in the end. Right. Because there's parts of Terry that are very complex, there's other parts that aren't. They're very simple to diagnose. What what are you trying to say? Nothing. So I I I have this theory that he wears this red shirt so that he can blend in with the wall in the producer's booth. So that he becomes invisible. Mm. Hmm. I'm pretty sure he didn't think about that this morning. <laughs> no, I just went, what's the on? next one in the lineup? There it is. <laughs> next clean shirt. <laughs> yep, this will do. And then he put it on. Um, we'll get to all of that fun with uh, our psychological inclinations in a few minutes. Plus, we've we got to talk about if you're running late to get your car on the ferry and the ferry's pulling away, you have that split-second decision. Do you just try to jump it? <laughs> or do you just stop and wait for the next ferry? Well, we'll, we'll tell you, uh, I guess somebody tried to jump it. And we'll let you know how that went. See, now, I wouldn't jump anything in a car, mainly yeah. because it's my car and right. it'll break. But, uh, you know, you're in traffic and you, you see the next car coming. You're trying to make a turn. You're like, I can make this turn. Yeah, that, you can do it. That car's a little close, but I can totally make it. I mean, yeah. I used to make that choice until there was a kid in the back seat. Yeah. Mm. Then you go, oh. Then, then all of a sudden that, you're like, nope, not going to do that. That changes everything. I'll just wait. It? I think this is another story, though, where we don't know everything that's going on. There are some key details I feel are just left out of the story. Well, and and so we, what we will do is we will help give the benefit of the doubt. Because maybe the guy that jumped to get his car to the ferry by jumping, by like Dukes of Hazarding it, yeah. maybe he had other reasons. All right. I mean, have you ever had hot chocolate on these ferries? It's no. Fantastic. Really? So he's really wanting some hot chocolate, didn't yeah. want to miss out. Maybe he was cold. They do have nachos mm. on these ferries. I know that. I've mm. never ordered them, but I've always wanted to. Nacho ferry. Yummy. Mm. Hey, we'll get to all that fun. Plus, of course, BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And, of course, a hero of the day. I'm going to um, resurrect uh, a, a story we did earlier in the day as my hero story today. Okay. Because it was such a really powerful story that it almost brought a tear to your eye when you read it earlier. Mm, okay. Okay. 
All that straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? A month after the acquittal of the officer in the Philando Castile shooting, Minneapolis police have another high-profile fatality on their hands. A 40-year-old woman, due to be married next month, was shot to death by police Saturday night after she called 911 to report a noise in the alley near her house. In a release, the department said that the responding officer's body cameras were not turned on and that the shooting is under investigation. The Minneapolis Star-Tribune quotes three sources who say that Justine Diamond came out of the house in her pajamas when the police car arrived around 11.30 Saturday night, approached the driver's side of the police car. She was speaking to the driver when the officer in the passenger seat opened fire and shot her through the door. Wow. It's unclear whether it was accidental or what the actual situation was because the police are investigating. Yeah. And there's no video, so they're really investigating. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, bad situation. So it's uh, big news in Australia. She is an Australian citizen. Yeah. She runs, she's a yoga instructor, meditation coach. Her website's Guru. wonderful. I was looking at it this morning. And, wow. Yeah. Uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk issued a dire warning about artificial intelligence, calling it the greatest risk we have to face as a civilization. Really? Like, the greatest risk? Speaking at the National Governors Association, Musk said the government should intervene. AI is a rare case where we need to be proactive in regulation instead of reactive, because by the time we are reactive with AI regulation, it will be too late. AI is a fundamental risk to the existence of human civilization in a way that car accidents, airplane crashes, faulty drugs, or bad food were not. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like there's artificial intelligence on this show. He thinks that artificial intelligence will overcorrect, and we won't be able to stop it. Really? He thinks that Terminator will be real. Wow. The future in that movie where computers take over and realize, hey, the big problem here is the humans, and then on goes the movie. Wow. So he kind of thinks like we need to regulate this stuff before it gets out of control. Get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. But we, he never said we that. We don't regulate movies, anything. I, I know, but he's asking. So we're doomed. But okay. also it's like, you know, he's kind of freaking out for no reason at the moment. Yeah, right. But then again, who knows? An Indiana woman didn't want her to cancel her $30,000 wedding, to, or her canceled $30,000 wedding to go to waste, so she threw a dinner party for the homeless. A bus piled up the, to the, or pulled up to the Swanky event uh, center Saturday. Sarah Cummins had booked for the reception in Carmel, a uh, suburb of northern Indianapolis. About a dozen veterans from a local organization were among the guests who dined on glazed meatballs, roasted garlic bruschetta, and Mm. wedding cake. Cummins said that she and her fiancé called off the wedding a week ago. She declined to give a reason, but said that they were left with a non-refundable contract for the hotel and the food for a 170-guest plated dinner. She said she decided to throw... The party, rather than just throwing the food away. Several local businesses got involved. They, people were able to That's nice. dress up in yeah. suits and dresses. Make and a nice kind of, party out of it. Made a party out of it, and she had a celebration instead Waste of, not, want not. Now this guy's kicking himself because that's the kind of woman that he could have married. Mm. See? That's true. If only they had done that earlier. And finally, a bluish mass of 17 contact lenses has been discovered in the eye of a patient who was scheduled for cataract surgery. The 67-year-old patient was unaware that the contact lenses were missing and later told surgeons that she thought her discomfort was due to dry eye and old age. Doctor yeah. later said that another 10 individual contact lenses were discovered in the woman's eye following further examination. So 27 contacts in all in her eye. Mm. Uh, so maybe she's having some memory problems too. They were all stuck together. We were really surprised that the patient didn't notice it because we could 
it would cause quite a lot of irritation while it was sitting there. The cataract surgery was postponed following the discovery. The patient had been wearing monthly disposable contact lenses for the past 35 years, but did not attend regular eye, uh, eye doctor appointments. She was quite shocked when she was able to see two weeks after they removed the lenses and her eyes felt a lot more comfortable. She didn't, and she probably didn't have to get the surgery probably didn't too, need the right? Surgery. That's that nice. Was the contacts. Well, uh, hold it. How do we even schedule eye cataract surgery without an appointment? They said without, it, a, without a an exam. An exam. They said in the article that the pre-exams didn't see the contacts. How was it I done by a machine know. or something? I'm not sure because the doctors are like it was right there on her eyeball. It was just a stack of contact lenses. Oh. Like, wouldn't that be like an inch thick? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it said, in this day and age, when it's so easy to purchase contact lenses online, people become lax about having regular checkups. She'd have like those big cartoon eyes that you know come out of your head. But and yeah, you would. Don't other people see them? I you, mean, you would think. Or do they? Do they just get bunched up? Unless. This is what's wrong with healthcare. Well, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I mean, this is one thing that's wrong. With Twenty-seven healthcare. contact lenses in her eyes. Wow, man! See, when I first started wearing contacts, I didn't get you know you have to reach in and pull them out. I, I yeah. wear I wear daily contacts. Yeah, and just toss them every night. And I didn't get it. I thought I got the contact lens, and I did not grab it out. So the next morning, I go to put another set in, and it was just like. It was horrible. It was like something was cutting my eye, and so I reach in, and, oh, there's two in there, so you have to pull the other one out, right? But so 27. With 27, you're going to have this thick stack. I don't know how that works unless they're spread all over, but wow. even then, it, the doctor should have seen that in the pre-check before they schedule the cataract, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, see, I've put my glasses – I put my sunglasses on over my regular glasses once I tried that, right. but mm. I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> see, now uh, I can't stop thinking about Pringles. You know how they just mm. stack one on top of the – I'm mm. hungry now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they need to do is make your contacts more stackable. Right. <laughs> but the other thing is she apparently didn't change her prescription for – 35 years. 35 years. May, I mean that in and of itself may make it seem like you need eye surgery. So maybe she was thinking I can't see with one of these in, so maybe with like five of them in I'll see yeah. better. If she had gone to a doctor, they would have found they would have been able to correct and give her the right lens yes. to put on top of the other bad lenses, so she could see one or two. <laughs> yeah, Three first or, or second. Yeah, I hate that. Second or first. Okay, great, great stuff. He's stuck on the Pringles. He's apparently they're stuck on him now. Hmm. Hey, uh, back to the Canadian man. Listen to this: Chase Campbell, twenty-five-year-old man from British Columbia. Did something incredibly stupid on June 24th. He jumped his Chevy Blazer onto a ferry. According to a report, at about 1.30 a.m., Campbell drove his SUV through a locked gate at the closed B.C. Ferry's Langdale Terminal. He then proceeded up the upper deck uh, onto the loading ramp and then smashed his way through several more barriers and some locked gates. Campbell then launched his SUV off wow. of the loading ramp it's getting intense. onto the upper car deck of the ferry. I can see it. It's like a movie. Man. He then launched his SUV onto the loading ramp, onto the upper deck of the ferry. Technically, he made it. Technically? Technically, he crashed. Oh, okay. As the ferry was docked at the time, he didn't have far to jump. The end result of the jump was his blazer landing nose down into the upper deck, hmm. uh, upper car deck. Surprisingly, not no one was injured in the crash. See, that's surprising because the Chevy Blazer is known for its jumping abilities. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, apparently, Campbell, um, uh, after the crash landed on, land, of landing on the ferry, Campbell returned to dry land where he attempted to steal two cars oh. belonging to dock employees. Hmm. Campbell's criminal extravaganza was then ended by police, and they arrested him. Wow. See, I mean, I know this was, what, eight sentences long or so, but I don't think it tells the whole story. So what do you think? What is it missing? Haven't your brakes just ever gone out? No. Brakes go no. out from time to time. I've never had my brakes go out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Never. That, no. Maybe what it was is that he 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 wanted to be parked on the upper deck. And they he, so he he just, you know, maybe it was a childhood dream of being up on that upper deck on top of other cars, maybe maybe there was a uh, bee attack. No. Like there were bees in the car and he no, was driving erratically. Maybe it's sure? a Bond. Maybe he maybe he's seen too many Bond movies and he's trying to play Bond. Maybe. Yeah. Those, those those movies where they jump, they land, and then they you know you, you kind of the yeah. skid, skid right into the parking spot yeah. and stop and get out of the car. That's what he wanted to maybe do. Maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe yeah. he's played so many video games that he was having a hard time deciphering between reality and uh, hmm. virtual reality. Maybe he's just messed up, you know, and he just wanted to break the law, and he's just maybe he was you know under, come on under the influence of something. Just come on, really? Yeah. That's where your mind goes first. Actually, yeah. you know. <laughs> You know, notice what he did after he got out of the car that he crashed. Right. He immediately tried to get into another car. You know how fish can only breathe underwater? Yeah. Maybe he has some rare disease where he can only breathe while he's in a car. Hmm. So he's out of one car, uh, had to get into far, another car. That seems far stretched. Maybe maybe he's a valet and he gets paid by the car. And he's just <laughs> trying to get as many cars as he can onto the ferry. I mean, the thing is, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. But whatever he did, it was pretty crazy. And now he's in jail. And now he's in jail. Where he belongs. Okay, good stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about psychological inclinations with uh, Kim Giles and Nicole Cunningham. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, honored today. Kim Giles is in studio. Kim's one of our contributors and president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. Uh, she also today brought her her partner, Nicole Cunningham, her business partner, is a master executive coach with 15 years of coaching and consulting experience. Uh, Nicole, by the way, is from Australia. Yeah, how are you? Good, how are you? <laughs> Good. And uh, you two have put together a brand new ebook that you can find on the website claritypointcoaching.com about these 12 uh, psychological inclinations. Yeah, Matt, we, we literally believe there's only 12 types of people. There's 12 types of in humans the world, on the 12 earth. 12 types of humans. And I have to tell you, when I met Nicole last year in India and she showed me this technology she'd put together, I didn't believe it. Yeah. But then she showed me my profile. And I was like, okay, that's me. Have you been following me around? There's no way you could know this much about me. Now that I've been working with them for a year, I'm convinced. Okay, so there are 12 types of people. And and this helps us because then we would know how to deal with the people we love, how to make life easier, how to motivate them, how to be open to what they need. Yeah, the whole point of understanding yourself and the people in your life so you can have better relationships. And and Nicole has taught me a lot about how because we see the world as we are, we get all kinds of expectations that everybody else 
should be like us, right? Yeah. The magic's in the dynamics because you can't help but see the life that you live according to all of the experiences that you've had. You're the product right. of your experience. Right. I'm the same of mine. Now, if you and I start being in a relationship, whether it's a corporate relationship or it's a marriage or it's, it's somebody in your life, you can't help but project expectations onto you, onto, the onto other. each other. Exactly. So therefore, we get all this misaligned expectation. So mm. what's the whole goal? We want smarter and functional relationships. That's what we need. Right. So if I can understand how it is that you see the world based on the product of all of your experience, and you can do that for me, within in a situation where we set ourselves and the relationship up to succeed. That's cool. And we don't have to – it's not like I have to know everything in your history. I just have to basically know – your four core values and your two fears, and that will lead me to my to one of these. I guess what are we calling them? Per, Psych- uh, psychological, psychological inclinations. inclinations. Yeah. Yeah. That there is the secret source. Yeah, it okay. sounds confusing. <laughs> except when you look at it, I mean, values are kind of drivers. So we just find out the four things that drive you and the two things that stop you. Well, and really, you only have one. So we're, oh, I, we thought we could run through yeah. the four, and and our listeners today, well, you'll be able to tell, and and Terry, all of you can figure yourself out yeah. today yeah, yeah, yeah. if we talk about the four different. Uh, Levels of value, and cool. you'll figure out which one you are. Okay, great. Yeah. So let's start with the values, I guess. Okay, so some people value, and the first thing in the disclaimer is that there's no more hierarchy. So there's no one that's more important okay. or better. Yeah. Or better. Everybody goes, well, I'm this, and you're that. I'm better than you. Right, you know? right, right. Okay, it all These has the same value. Neutral, yeah. And you know that because you've talked about amateur yeah. before. But so people, there's, there's some people in the world who just connect with people. Right, and right. they just love, and they want to go straight down to the deep, intense stuff. Yeah, um, and, and they're the people who just resonate on that people level. Yeah, there's other people who function on the task level, so they're people who are super motivated by lists and productivity mm. and having things completed. Yeah, yeah, and we have to make a confession: we're we're on that level. The you're task, ta- you're task, we're task people. people. Yeah, because you watch how much yeah. stuff I get yeah. done, right? right? I mean, I'm just totally. hammering out articles yeah. and stuff all the time, and. And I'm more task-focused than people-focused. Now, I love people. My yeah. whole life is about helping people. But the, but those the of task. you that are people-focused, like you want to be with others all the time. You never want to oh, be alone. Yeah. You fill up by being with people yeah. one of and the funny, talking things out. Yeah, one of the funny things we ask people is, can you drive alone in the car? Or are you one of those people who just oh, goes I through your favorite lists? And being you, you, alone in the car. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> these people on the people level, they yeah. literally can't they be can't in their own it. company. Yeah. They just go through somebody, talk to me from my oh, mobile. My They're heavens. on their phone every moment. Yeah, that's time. not me. All right. So that's an interesting okay, one. So are okay. you somebody that loves to be with people or do you like to be alone? You crave time alone because on the, on the tasks level, yeah. we crave leave us alone and let us get stuff done. Yeah. You're very focused on your to-do list and, and that. So those are the first two. Okay. People and, and tasks. The next two are things and ideas. Now, when we say things, this is not about being materialistic. This is about the appreciation for things. So people who love music and art and creativity and inventions and innovation. Hmm. And ideas is the problem solvers of the world. the ones who walk into a problem, they see all the moving parts, and they have this incredible ability to see how it would function better. Oh, interesting. Now, idea people are also kind of opinionated, Nicole, don't Mm. you think? They're – ideas and beliefs and values are everything. And so these people have a strong sense of right and wrong. Hmm. And they can often be kind of critical of those who are doing it wrong. Right. Because those ideas matter kind of more than people. And they and it's not that they consciously think that, 
but they're just so focused on ideas. People who love to research things on Google. Before you make a decision, you'd spend hours researching every thinking, option. Thinking, yeah. You might be more of an idea person. Yeah. And these are the people who frustrate the rest of us because they're always right. Yeah. So not only Don't are they opinionated, <laughs> but they're also always right. Yeah. Right? So so that's an interesting dynamic totally. in a relationship. And you can see that there would could be misaligned expectations uh-huh. because these people are used to getting their own way because they are right all the time. Yeah, right. So can you imagine that's that in huge. a marriage or a corporate relationship where there's, there might be a misaligned expectation about somebody on the people line who just wants to be heard and validated for their ideas, even if they're wrong, yeah. and somebody who's on the ideas line who's going, stop talking. Right. What you're saying doesn't matter because this is the way it needs to be done. Right. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So do you Powerful. know everybody know which one they are? I think so. Terry? <laughs> he got him figured uh, out. He's probably not playing. Which level? He's too afraid. That's why he's hiding in there in the dark. Okay. So hopefully yeah. all our listeners, they've okay. figured out what they value most. People, tasks, things, or ideas. Yeah. And and by the way, if you're an artist, you're on the things level. You like to create in the yeah. physical realm. We also get a lot of accountants they like to account for things. And, <laughs> so and the they're, bean they're counters. The, yeah, they're, yeah, they're on the thing level. Huh? Yeah. Um, we always joke. It's kind of interesting. Donald Trump uh-huh. is on the things level. Interesting. He's what we call a conqueror type person. But it's about building things and amassing yeah, things and owning things, the nicest things. The nicest right? things, huh? Okay. Yeah. But the positive of that is they're incredible leaders. Right. Right? So it's not always just that we judge that and go, gosh, these people are materialistic. It's not. They have this incredible capacity to accumulate and scale. That's powerful. Now, that's a lot of the skill set that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people want. Right. right? Exactly. No, that's huge. Okay. So then we have to know, I guess, the fears. Yeah. So, you know, every time I come on your show, we talk about fear because I believe human nature is actually really simple to understand. We're always driven by love or fear. And a lot of the time we're driven by fear Mm -hmm. over two things. We fear failure, which is the looking bad, which is the people are going to judge me or reject me. I might be inadequate. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us, that is our bigger fear. We all day long, we're afraid we're not good enough and we're constantly comparing with other people. And if we feel like we're not loved or appreciated, we feel rejected and it's crushing. Yeah. So if you're kind of a people pleaser a little bit, somebody with a lot of fear, insecurity that you're not good enough, I want you to make note. Okay. The second one is fear of loss. Now, this is fear of all the things that could go wrong. Hmm. And the people who fear loss are a little bit controlling. When you say, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> they feel safer in the world when they have a predictable way of doing things. So anything that's new or anything that's going to challenge them where they feel like they don't have ownership or yeah. things aren't working as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So this is a big deal because we see a lot of these people as super functional, right? They're perfectionistic almost to a fault. Right, right. Right? They're not adaptive with things. Something will go wrong and they don't have the ability to just you know, put the big girl panties on and keep going. Right, right. right? So this is an interesting quality that it looks great with leadership and people who can manage big things, but it's equally as crippling because they're attached to perfection. Mm. And oh boy, that's interesting. Boy, and it's hard. Those seem harder to distinguish. Maybe you have both. Do people, or do you have one? Well, we all have both. We yeah. all fear failure and loss, but we all fear one a little more. Tend and this be, is why yeah. the psychological inclinations have kind of come about because when you identify which one is a bigger player for you, mm-hmm. you then know what to do with it. 
That's true, huh? It's all about us getting more functional, getting smarter in our communication, being more balanced. Do you um, – I guess – so if you can identify – so is this what you do with your clients? You bring them in, you take them through assessments to identify this and then move them into their psychological – tendencies is how do, how do you how do you yeah, progress so on the website we've got a sheet about each one so when we bring them in and we we figure out which psychological inclination you're playing in are you an affectionate matter of fact out there nicole said what do you think matt is because mm. you know matt pretty well yeah. and i i was guessing a producer or an affectionate i wasn't we'll sure if you would say that you crave that time alone or you love to be with people i and love being with alone people I love it. I love it so much. Okay. So once we kind of figure out yours, we'll have you read over a, a PDF that tells all about that profile and oh, cool. how how your way of showing up in the world could be affecting your relationships at work or at home. And then it's really fun to figure out your spouse because if you know both – Oh, it's, oh yeah. it's like a guidebook now to the issues and the 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 fight that you have over and over and over because really it's always the same one for most of us. Totally, right? it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How powerful is it? I mean, I guess as you do this, then it's not to label them; it's to understand them. It is because each of the psychological inclinations has a balanced and an unbalanced state. Now, we know it. We feel that unbalanced state. We might have got up on the wrong side of bed in the morning right. or you know, we had a child that said something or we had an email and it just completely shifts our energy and our headspace yeah. and we start behaving badly. We're triggered by that core fear. So when I know what that core fear is, I can flag that in that moment and go, you know what? My value is not in this email. This is just me receiving feedback. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So true. It huh? doesn't change my value. I can, right. I can do all that corrections instead of then calling my spouse and coming home and kicking the dog and... It kind yeah, of goes on. That's so true. So we have a fundamental state. That's our balanced state. And then we have our unbalanced state, which is how we show up worst in the world. Now, we don't want to do this to label people, but knowledge is power. Knowledge is everything. So if I can walk into my spouse and say, I'm in a really unbalanced state. I had an email that triggered me and I'm working through this. Instead of then getting into that same old fight and uh-huh. making about everybody else. All of a sudden, I'm smarter in my relationships. I can take responsibility for my 50%. That's great. And that's what we want. We want people to be taking responsibility for their stuff instead of just spraying it all over their family. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, and all of a sudden, you can recognize the pattern, pull over before you're maiming everybody and driving over everybody. (laughs) Yeah, completely. It's kind of a violent aggressive. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little (laughs) on the violent violent side. Okay, let's take a break and come back and then uh, give us some more tools for how, I guess, where to find it. ClarityPointCoaching.com. If you go on there, you can pick up the ebook. It's just right there on the homepage, right? Yeah, that tells all about it. We'll help you figure out yours and your family in that book. Good stuff. Holy cow. This is fun. Learning from Kim Giles and Nicole Cunningham, both from ClarityPointCoaching.com. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Friends, uh, joining us in the studio, Kim Giles and Nicole Cunningham from ClarityPointCoaching.com. You're going to want to go to that website, ClarityPointCoaching.com. Today they're talking about psychological inclinations, and uh, we've gone through we've, – we've basically, they're taking us through a process of figuring out what we value, what our fears are, 
kind of the driving values, one of four values, the driving fears, one of two. And then from that, you can put us into a psychological inclination. Yeah. A PI. So we kind of did Matt on we the did, break. Yeah. So <laughs> I, because my, my value is ideas. My fear, we think, is fel, uh, is failure. Mm-hmm. And um, we came up with that I'm probably a learner. I'm an introvert, left brain. Yeah. So awesome thing to be. Because, is it really? Yeah. But, it's about time. But you, you're one of those people that we hate because you're always right. <laughs> well, but then I, yeah, you've but that's not good. researched and learned about things. Yeah, so but you can you know tell my family so that? Much. But then, but then, if I don't care about the people side as much, then I just offend them because I'm yeah. just being right. So the big question is, we wonder what Marty is, right? Yeah. So um, I'm a producer. My husband's an affectionate, so he's on the people row, and I'm on the task. She's row. definitely on the people row. Okay, she, definitely. She might. She loves in... people. <laughs> loves them. Is, does she love to be outdoors? Does she love fresh air? Does <laughs> yes. she always have the windows That's open? That's all we do is everything's a hike, a walk. Let's get outside. Let's not sit on the couch and just veg. Yeah. Can she eat the same foods every day? Or, or does she, she Oh, no. Yeah. She can eat the same food every day. Yeah. Okay. These are strange questions, right? Yeah. People look at us and go, how did we come to get to put this together? It really is about a fundamental state. And we've done the research for yeah. 15 years to put this together. And the value is understanding the dynamics at play. So let's just talk about Kim's marriage for a minute, only because I know it so yeah, well. Right? Right, let's right. hope Kim's husband isn't listening to the show. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> We're going to talk about my marriage. So I'm a producer. He's an affectionate. And my problem being task-focused is that I get so task-focused with all the stuff I have to do that my family starts to feel like they're at the end of the list. Yeah. Right? Interesting. And my husband values people most, so he wants my attention and affection. And mm. and and so this is the fight we have over and over again. All you do is work, and I feel like I'm the bottom of the list. And what he's really saying is my core need is connection. And It's not happening. It's not happening, right? And all I hear when he says that is that I'm not good enough. Yeah. That I'm failing. You're failing. Because it triggered good. my core fear. Totally. And, you know, when when we get <clears throat> triggered with fear of failure, I tend to pull back more because being away from him is safer if he's the cause of the Interesting, fear. Interesting, right. So Nicole actually explained to him the other day how to get more love and affection from me based on the psychological inclinations. She wouldn't How? tell him. Yeah. What? And so I said, come on, let, let me just give you a few little insights here because there's a magic little formula here. What it is is that because she's on the task line, her values in her performance, right? So you've got to send her text messages going, man, you're just going to kill it. Yeah. And I love what you're doing and the way that you're helping everybody and you're just smashing all these goals that you've got. And so he started to do this and text her. And she, things started to drastically Unbelievable. not that it was an issue, but well, it just was like, whoa. Okay, let's be let's be honest. She said, if you want more sex, yeah. you've got to make sure that you are the cure to Kim's core fear. So telling her what an amazing businesswoman she is and how how she just kills it with everything she does. So amazing. That makes me so in love with him. I'm yeah. crazy about him. Because he's now the cure to my fear instead right. of the cause of Unbelievable. it, telling me I'm not good enough. Yeah. And, and this is really what we do. I mean, we had a couple who came and saw us a few weeks ago that said, we've been to seven marriage therapists. And in five minutes, you pegged the You've continual cycle yeah. that we're going through. So if we could be the cure to each other's fears and we can correct this misalignment of expectation because we understand where we're truly each coming from. Right. There's, there's, a, there's a, no more end. harmony there. Totally. Right? Absolutely. And this is what we need. And we put this in a family setting too where you know we've got four children, but there's one child that I just don't have that same connection with. And what's wrong with me? Am I broken? Mm-hmm. Right? Because everything else seems to work. 
And you put the two psychological inclinations and say, guys, your currency is completely different. So here you are encouraging him to be so great in academia and all this rest of it. He wants to go and save the whales. Yeah. Right? He's a champion. He's motivated by what it is that he can advocate for and, and the position of power he can have to fight for the underdog. Mm. And you're trying to push him into a law degree. Totally. There is a huge misalignment right. here. Right. Right? And so it's like opening Pandora's box and you can actually see what's inside it and, and what's at play. And then do the correction. Is this all? Is this all explained in the ebook? It is. It's all in the book. And actually, we had an actual book, but it, we've sold out. We haven't got more in. So right now, all we have is the ebook. But it's fantastic and explains how to get out of your fears and how to recognize everybody in your family. So powerful. So they go to claritypointcoaching.com and just look for the ebook, and then eventually you can get the hardbound book when as soon as we get more in. in. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. But it's it really is about it's about understanding and then. Once you understand the road with each other, it just seems like you'll be able to maneuver every situation more effectively. That's the plan. Yep. Piece of cake. Well done, you two. Kim Giles, Nicole Cunningham, thank you so much from Clarity Point Coaching. Go to the website, check it out, and also you'll uh, be looking for that ebook. Holy cow. Understanding your value and your fears. It could start right there, couldn't it? We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's time to head down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show. Today, it's Spencer and Jerem, of course, the hosts of the show. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? We're good. You're fantastic. Hey. um, We were just watching a scene from the movie Yes, Man. Oh, were you now? Yeah. How did that go? Say it, Carl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Have you ever thought about that, having to say yes to everything? That's a little scary. No, that would be horrible because I'm a no man. I say no to everything. I mean, you can't say yes to everything, but if you have a yes mindset, Mm -hmm. that's different than I physically have to say yes to everything. Exactly. All that is is a remake of Liar, Liar. Right, exactly. That's not – you have to tell the truth. You have to do this specific thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, We would all be in a lot of trouble. It was a cleaner Liar, Liar. Are you suggesting that Hollywood is running out of original ideas, Jerem? No, I'm not. I am. They just don't make as much money. <laughs> I just the, the original, like, oh, let's do a bunch of superhero movies. Those yeah, let's we just... know those make money. Hey, let's do more Star Wars movies. Those make money. Hey, did you guys know Spider Man? Um, hey, th- let's make more money on Spider Man. There's only been like five thousand of those movies made. Yeah, the rights they're not to exaggerate. They keep making movies, but. They finally got it in the right spot, I think, which is in the larger story arc of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wow. You just used the word arc mm-hmm. uh, without mentioning the Bible. Powerful. Pretty good. Really letter, good. But yeah. Really good. Hey, uh, you guys ever heard of Cody Bellinger? Yeah. Dodgers. Dodgers. Uh, yeah, did Jeff tell Do- you to bring that up? Do- yeah, he totally did. Did he hit another homer? What happened? He, he had, hit for the cycle, man. He oh, hit- he hit for the cycle? Yeah. I was, I was off Twitter. Yesterday, yeah. in an attempt to not know about certain things. Oh, so, really? So, yeah. First Dodger rookie to hit for the cycle. Yeah, it's pretty wow. amazing. That's cool. He's, he reminds me a lot of myself as a 20, what, two-year-old just yeah. star. Tall and left-handed? Uh, I'm, more, I'm more right-handed, a little short. Oh, okay. Short and right-handed. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is hitting for the cycle, I guess, a big deal? I mean, yeah, I've absolutely. Yeah. 
I mean, majors? Absolutely. Everywhere. Uh, Jeff did bring up – I don't know if he brought it up with you on the show. Um, he was mad at Spencer for not being at the game to hit for the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, the other team forfeited again, okay? <laughs> Jeff was mad. Like, like Spencer's got to be there. They can't hit for the cycle. I'm, so- I'm sorry. He was mad. I'm sorry, Jeff. And Jeff actually rode his bicycle there. That's why he was mad because he had to ride his bicycle back home. <laughs> his bicycle. His bicycle. <laughs> bicycle. I just bought uh, a bicycle for my five-year-old for the first time. Oh, that's so fun. And did so he fun. say, I want to ride my bicycle. <laughs> did, By the um, way, when did, when did a kid's bike with training wheels become 140 bucks? If you yeah, what the heck? Holy cow. Yeah. What, what the heck? So you wait till you get to run down the street with him for miles. Yeah, well, it's funny because when he's going down the hill, he's got the the uh, oh, I can't remember the specific name of the brakes where you just you push back on yeah, the pedals. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's trying really hard to get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> we had a runaway jacks for a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Hit the brakes, push it backwards. He's like, I'm trying. <laughs> it's not, I'm not stopping. Is he also like leaning to the left because there's. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you'll want to correct that because <laughs> the minute you take those off, you'll be ruined for life. Oh. He'll always only turn left turns. Maybe so he'll different. be in NASCAR. See, I refused help when I learned how to ride a bike. Like, I would not let anybody really? help me. And no I one's had, near you. Yeah. Yeah, my parents were afraid that, like, social services were going to show up and be like, <laughs> You're so bruised. What's happening? And scarred. Your son. Exactly. <laughs> but Jax is very different. He wants all the help he can get. What a stud. That's so cool. Proud of you as a father. Good job. Yeah, well, be proud of the fact that he said to me yesterday, promise you won't get frustrated if I do something wrong. <laughs> Dad, promise you won't spank me. <laughs> like, I can't promise that. I'm sorry. I can't promise, but we'll send like, your I'm mother out with you. Father. Oh, that's How about so you just good. not mess up ever and we'll be fine. Oh, I love, I love teaching the bike thing. That's fun. Yeah, that's yeah. good living right there. Hey, what's on your show today? Um, we are teaching the masses about the BYU quarterbacks today, Matt. Mm. Yeah. What about him? It's my quarterback. Well, we're going to try and uh, take the training wheels off of all of the quarterbacks behind Tanner Mangum and see just how confident in the quarterbacks that fans are. Ah. If and when it comes to somebody other than Tanner Mangum starting a football game. The yes. stat about BYU and backups from the past seven years that shocked me. It's that's, going, it, that's really, really? It's going to blow your mind. Plus, oh, no. Blaine Fowler will join us. The most important backup in BYU football history, Blaine Fowler. Really? He helped win a national title. Robbie Bosco gets hurt, 84 Holiday Bowl. Blaine Fowler comes in, steers and holds down, steers the ship, holds down the fort, gave it 110%. <laughs> steers the fort. And BYU steers the fort <laughs> ship. Steers the fort. Holds down Game the ship. Holds down the fort <laughs> ship. He's going to tell us uh, about his confidence in Tanner Mangum and the guy. Yeah, who the backup will be. That That's a question cool. we need to know out of fall camp, plus the metric with March Madness that is changing forever. Really? Yes. Wow, you've got a lot on the show. Yeah, of course we do. It's a Monday. It's like a it's a Monday, and it was a Twitter free Sunday for Jerem. Yeah. So that, to lay low. He has a lot on his mind. Really, I'm plus dying. Plus my 12 second movie review for War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, that I... A reminder, 12 seconds. 12 seconds. seconds. For War of the Apes, part 12. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Luckily, it's not connected to the old 
crappy well, sequels. And luckily, because it's only a 12-second review, you don't have to review the history of War of the Apes because it could take forever. <laughs> yeah. A 12-minute review of all 12 episodes. <laughs> One minute for each. And who knew that the, the apes were so warring? But there's been a lot of War of the Apes. Yes, there have. It's kind of crazy. Well, guys, it sounds like a great show. Um, I know you got to go get stretched out, ready, get your vocal cords ready. So we love you, mm-hmm. and may the mm-hmm. may the mm-hmm. war be with you. May the apes mm-hmm. go with you. Mm-hmm. Unique <laughs> New York. <laughs> unique U- New York. U- unique U- New York. Oh, I can't even do it. That's funny. Those two. That's crazy. By the way, that's five minutes away. Hey, five thanks, minutes away. By the way, now Spencer thinks I hate his guts. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yep. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Hey, we've got our own little sporting news for you. Listen to this crazy story. A family of an Ohio man who returned to the U.S. comatose in April after suffering a traumatic brain injury from a car accident in the Republic of Georgia was given a little chance of re- of, uh, of hope, I guess. Just a little... A little hope, right? 38-year-old Zach Lawrence of Dublin, Ohio, apparently wasn't listening to physicians at Ohio State University's Dodd Hall Rehab Center, the AP reports. He began making sounds, keeping his eyes open and smiling at his children. Some of the best evidence that he's aware came when he was asked to respond with a yes or a no button to the question, do you like Michigan? Now, remember, this is a guy that's in, been in a coma, and he's from Ohio. So hmm. Ohio, like uh, Ohio State Buckeye fans, they don't like Michigan. Right. So the minute they said that, um, one of the fiercest, uh, most storied rivals they brought up in this poor guy's rehab center. And to the delight of his family, Lawrence pushed the no button not once, but twice. He always makes a face when we mention Michigan, Lawrence's wife, uh, Megan, tells the Columbus Dispatch. We're pretty sure he's in there. How cool is that? Yeah. So you, sometimes these rivalries are really good because it, they, they, tell you, um, they tell you that maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he's in there. Dad's in there. He still has that hatred for the other, com- the other team. You know, I, I think I'm going to try something like this with you right now. Okay. Let's do that. Matt, do you like kidney stones? Mm. Hey, you're still there. See, it worked. Ask me, ask me if I like sugar. Do you like sugar? See? That's the Matt we know. Ask me about Palakiko. <laughs> Apparently not. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff, everybody. That's a cool story. Um, and how, how much hope would you have if you're not sure if your husband's in there anymore and then all of a sudden you know, yeah, he hates Michigan? They would have to ask me, what do I think of the Giants? You That's really, what would get me out. Yeah, because the Giants always knock the Dodgers out. Mm, except they're like 30 games behind the Dodgers right for, now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> for now. Anything can happen in 30 games. Hey, uh, hero story. I'm going to bring back a story we did earlier in the show as my hero of the day. 
When a wildfire quickly approached their house in Oroville, California, earlier this month, the Orsillo family had just a few minutes to grab some valuables and escape to safety. Mark Orsillo, 34, had been collecting movies for years, and his sister, Daniel Devine, grabbed trash bags and started throwing in as many DVDs as he could. Uh, or as she could. She was only able to save about 20 of his more than 300 movies when Orsillo, who has Down syndrome, found out that the fire destroyed his home and all of his movies left behind. He was devastated. He was really struggling, Divine told CBS News. He usually so happy all of the time. I felt bad I didn't grab more, uh, the sister said, um, as she shared on Facebook. But here's what's interesting. They sent out a post to Facebook that went viral. And with just a few hours, a delighted Orsillo received 400 DVDs by the next day. Listen to that. We just within just four hours, they were already people were already sending the DVDs his way. He's probably going to have more movies than he ever had before. Divine said, and as an added bonus, strangers have also rallied to help their parents bring in more than ten thousand dollars to help rebuild that house. So, how powerful, folks! Again, the hero of the day would be you. Those that uh, respond to to the people in need that uh, put out just a simple viral message on Facebook. Powerful stuff. That sells you. There's some pretty good uh, people in this world, isn't there? That's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow to help you make it through this crazy thing called life. Until then, let's take care of each other and let's make it a great one. BYU Sports Nation is up next.